Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, people? You're listening to the Two Pro One Slow podcast. Brought to you by Factory Image Racing. Check them out on Instagram at Factory Image Racing. They offer a huge range of hard parts, service parts, tools, and more. Welcome back to episode 12. Um, we are joined by a bit of royalty here, aren't we? Yeah. I'm quite looking forward to this one. We've been trying to set it up for a few months now. He's been busy. And now we've got Wob to come into the studio and film a uh, film podcast, talk about all things Wob, really. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's anyone in the sport that's done so many different different things i mean i'll learn as much as anyone else whilst um whilst we go through it and talk about it but yeah so for those of you listening and not watching we've got doc wob here with us we've also got two pretty special bikes behind us one being tommy's 250 uh, cr250 and one being a chesterfield yam is that right wob yeah it's one of the ones we built for brownie that he raced good man if you just pop that mic a little bit closer so we can hear you so then um well i guess we better do one quick well done, because you are now the British champion. You won that. Yeah, I managed to wrap that up, so that was nice. Congratulations on that, kid. I'm Thank sure, you. I'm sure the big cheese is happy with that one. Yeah, no, uh, Dave was happy. Took the pressure right off, I'm sure. Yeah, it has. Took the pressure off me for the winter, that. <laughs> um, yeah, so right, I reckon we'll just jump straight in. Um, I put some questions out on the 2 Pro 1 slow page, um, but what we should do to start with is, I reckon, just give us a bit of a backstory, Wob. I mean, you've done it all, so tell us where it all began. I've done a bit, but started off as a kid. I didn't know where it come from. I was into dirt bikes. A friend of mine had one, and my dad was into rugby. He's a school teacher. My mum, not at all. So I don't know where it come from. I couldn't, I'm not sounding bleating like, oh, you know, I had it rough, but I didn't have a bike until I could buy myself one when I was 17. And then started racing AMCA, ended up going practicing with Rob Andrews once or twice and realised I ain't very good at this. <laughs> and it's just depressing when you just see, you think, oh, I'll follow him for a couple of... No, you weren't doing that. <laughs> and then I think, well, maybe I'll be a mechanic. So then you're looking for opportunities. Rob didn't need anybody at the time, and I ended up helping Merv um, Anstey because at the time a lot of the guys were doing... Well, the, the, the done thing was French internationals, and the rider would go and do a French international on like a Tuesday or some middle-of-the-week day, and the mechanic was at home, so they needed somebody to go with them and just put fuel in, really. So I started doing that. That gave you a tester. What sort of age would you have been there? 20. So you'd started riding 20, what, no, like younger? 17, 17. rode MCA, junior, seniors, got in the experts, stopped enjoying it the minute I got in the experts and just getting my ass handed to me every week. <laughs> it just stopped being fun. And then I wasn't spending the money on the right things. I had nobody telling me what to do. I was having my helmet painted and some fancy boot gaiters, but I never had a new back tyre. So What's boot gaiters? Oh, they were cool in the 80s. 
boot gaze is that like a shin pad thing or something no it's like a, it's like a sleeve that went over your boots that continued the pattern of the jeans down oh really oh. They were cool. like a sticker kit before sticker kits were a thing yeah but they were goofy looking but that's what was cool at the time yeah. so. but I never had a tyre so I never understood why I'd always have a result when it was hard pack I hated the hard pack because I had the same grip as everybody else oh what you didn't even put you was just I didn't, in my whole career I never had a new tyre I was three years never had a tyre really yeah just I didn't know any better and now I've got a few of them, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, now, so that I remember you've told me before, Merv announced there was, Merv was the first guy you worked for. Yeah, Merv always, there was a lot of people who started with Merv because he, he wasn't, he was hard work at the time. He's all right now. Well, he used he to was, make his way through mechanics. Oh, yeah, he didn't have many people <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, he was, uh, they used, he used to not abuse them, but he wasn't, he was hard work. But he was all right with me, and I was there a couple of years on and off. Um, but I know a lot of guys who started with Merv. Because he would get through guys, you know. Yeah. And then we were at the factory. I was helping him in the factory, and a guy called Jim Lewis, who's now in America, he was Watson's mechanic, and he kind of Dave took, Watson. Yeah, and he kind of took me under his wing, and fuck, he showed me a lot, and I didn't know what I was doing, but he he was cool. And when you were at the KTM factory back in the day, you used to be walking up and down the production lines. You could wander into R and D. You could just help yourself. Really, it was crazy. Was it? Still the same place it is now, Matterhove. It's the same town. I don't think it's the same building. Oh, I haven't yeah. been recently, but it's when you were there before, you would like just park up, and like we used to go through the bins at the back of R and D. Nobody cared. It was just. I think it's, it's all changed. Isn't it? I mean, even when you used to ride factory oh. KTM, you used to just get parts galore. The first time I rode from, we used to get so many parts, and then the second time I rode, completely different story. I think now it's um, a bit different. Yeah, I mean, like we used to go, bins, you know, back it? in the eighties. We had these carnets, which I think you're back on now, and you had to list everything that you took with you and list everything you took back. And like I swear to God, if one of those customs guys opened that van, it killed him. We just we were, it was to the roof of the yeah. van with so much stuff. <laughs> nice. So, so after after Merv, then it was after Merv, then it was uh, Rob Andrews in eighty eight. I worked with him a little bit when he got let go from the Popper team. And it was, we were on the back foot, in fairness. We had a couple of practice bikes and just trying to make it through. Still uh, GPs? GPs, yeah. And then Mark Banks, Justin Banks I worked for, ended up going to Paris Supercross with Mark and worked there for a little while. Um, and then in 89, started work with Paul Eddy, doing, doing some stuff with him. He was easy life. At the same time, I started a shop in Worcester, which lasted two or three years. And then... Um, in that time, we sponsored Justin Morris and Kawasaki paid me to go to the Grand Prix with him to help him through qualification and all those bits and pieces because yeah. he's a young kid, didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know either, in fairness, but we were, <laughs> I was supposed to be the voice of reason. So there's some funny stories from me and Boris driving around Europe. And then um, the shop got burgled like four times in a year. And I got, got sick and tired of it and then went to the States in 93 for the first time. Just thought, oh. With Eddie? No, no, no. They, I just... I got in touch with a guy who was importing Technocell seats and he got me set up with a privateer called Gene Numack in Florida and I just got on a plane with a toolbox and went going. Oh, so mechanic for, that was the start of how you got into bikes. Yeah, I mean, that was, I was into it five years in at that point, you know, so I kind of got the hang of it, it was all right. But, you know, going there was a different league, you know, that was the, uh, McGrath was number 15 and just winning everything and you walk in there and it's like, even though you've done Grand Prix, it's still a big deal to walk into them stadiums. And why, how comes it was your thing to go to America as well, a mechanic? You just wanted to go there. Same as a rider. Yeah. Same thing. It's all about the States. And I think as a career, unless you've been and done that, you haven't feel like you've done everything. Yeah. You no, can, I know what you're saying. You know, so you, 
you need to go and do that. I mean, it was great doing the Grand Prix when I did the Grand Prix with Merv and with Rob and that. It's a good, different, I think, now. I yeah, know. I think it's more... Ollie Stone's done it, hasn't he? He's um, a mechanic now yeah. for the yeah. PC race team. Oh, he's he just left. He's oh, has he? Now Barsha's mechanic. Yeah, I see that. Oh, yeah, we'll see. He started well, here. I don't and know then if that's been announced yet. An exclusive no, I read one. It somewhere. <laughs> I, know he, I know he's left. Uh, oh. he's, he's gone to work for Barsha. So that's good for him. He's done really well. I'm really proud of Ollie. He's done a massive... Yeah, it's He's nice. done a mint job there. I remember when he left. Yeah. Right, similar sort of... Well, uh, probably a similar to career path to what you had, I guess. Yeah, basically. He was, on, he was asking me about helping him get a job and this and that. And, you know, he spoke to Mitch at the Nations in Lommel that one year. and Just upped bit, and went, didn't he? Yeah, Mitch asked me about him. I said he's a good kid. I helped him get his work visa by doing some paperwork for him and... Um, that was always an issue when you were over there with visas and whatever, you know. People don't help you, do they? No, you don't realise. Like when an American comes here, everyone they, runs around after. They them. get picked up from the airport. Here's your car. This is where you're staying. There's food in the fridge. They get everything. When you go over there and you get off the plane, you're like, you got nothing. No, literally. Uh, it was, I was saying that when I went, it was quite. People helped me, but I know stories from mechanics. And even when Jamie Dobb went over there, he was like, I flew out and then. I didn't have any money, and Mitch was like, "Well, that's not my problem, mate. You find somewhere to stay and get 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 to the track, and I'll supply a bike. But if you can't get to the track, then that's, there's no you you won't be riding it." Exactly. They're not. They don't look after you like they, we did when the Americans come here. It's just not the same deal. But you know, they're not a they're not a flat rental company. They no, that's what, a motorbike yeah, race, race team, and they also show up and do that. But do you think there's a better opportunity? As a mechanic or even in the industry in America than there is here? I think there's a lot more opportunities now than there was when I was trying to break into it. When I was trying to get into it, there would be like eight factory mechanics jobs and those dudes just didn't leave. Yeah. Unless somebody died, saying, yeah. there was not the opportunities. And the, it was factory or privateer, nothing in between. And now you've got so many teams like... Yeah, I guess they're running so more many riders employees. as well. And now as a rider, they'll have practice mechanics. They'll have yeah. all these other opportunities to get into it. I think it's a mint time to get into it. Yeah, I do. For for as what you as you were saying, then the rider would have a mechanic. Even say in Europe, uh, when you're flying around with uh, Justin or driving around with Justin, you're his mechanic. You do his engine. You do his suspension. You do everything. You drive with him. Now you've got truck driver. You have engine guy. You have suspension guy. Yeah, there's 15 people. Easy. Yeah. I kind of caught the end of that in when I was factory Suzuki with Reynard in 98 because I was in a box van. And once you're in a box van, you have to organise. You've still got your suspension done for you. You did. But you just have to You get a hotel list where you're going to be at what days. You're getting parts shipped to your hotel. You're building your bikes. You're, I do my own engines, my own everything, build the truck, organise the parts, wash the truck, get the groceries. You have to do everything. Now I go there and you see there's like four different people working on the bike and the truck driver's doing the cooking and it just seems to be like, an, I don't know if it's easier, but I, I think what's been lost is that team between the rider and the mechanic yeah, so much. It used to be yeah. like me and the rider against the world. Even if the kid was on the same team, you still felt it was only you and him and you'd do everything to help that kid. But now it doesn't feel quite so. No, now that I, I, I think even more so there is this like the mechanics sort of bolt stuff together now where because someone hands him the engine, someone hands him the suspension and then, well, I feel like it's on. more like the mechanic stays with the team now, and then the rider just comes through. Whereas before, what Wob's trying to say is, you stuck with that rider wherever he went. I'm guessing is that. Yeah, yeah that's how you got the big jobs. Is you got with a guy, and as he got better, he got the better jobs. Yeah. You take him with you, and that's where I kind of dipped out because my paperwork wouldn't allow me to do that. So, 
I got caught out at the end at Suzuki because it was at the same time as I, Robbie was offered 250 team deals. I was going with him and Albertine got married, didn't renew his visa properly. And then Loacco's dad tried to cause he had Harrison problems. And so we called immigration. So it was just a clusterfuck. It was just got screwed up. Oh, okay. So it is what it is. You can't complain about it. <laughs> yeah, seems you like it. caught in these situations and it's nothing you've done wrong. Yeah, so. when you're abroad, difficult. Well, same when... Oh, when you went, it was the same. Same anything when you're abroad. Even if um, I listened to the Hunter Lawrence, Jet Lawrence documentary or podcast they done, and they were saying same thing there, being Australian, you come to Europe, and they said you can't pay you. Similar to thing, if you was going to a factory Suzuki, they're like, well, how do we pay you? And like, well, uh, so yeah, it's, my it's, visa, you're so. a foreigner, aren't you? That's the yeah. bottom line. Is you're a foreigner in a, in a strange land, and people tend to stick with their own. It's a harder job, but also when you go there, you haven't got the baggage that the other mechanics have got. You got a family, you got no, yeah. you know. So you are just working. You have got nothing else to do. Your your main point of contact is your rider. That's nice from a from a rider's point of view. When when you, I remember when I come up, the best mechanics are the ones that have no baggage. Yeah, you just because you've got nothing else to worry about, and that's normally the foreign ones because they come over and um, they've got nowhere to go back to. They live at the workshop. They're from. They're not from that country. All they want to do is work on your bike. They've got no other. Yeah, and also I think that does show a level of commitment from that guy to want to do that so bad to give up everything to go and just live out of a gear bag and just. I think that's why um, Mitch Payton at Pro Circuit he hires a lot of foreign mechanics for that yeah. reason. Yeah, I think he thinks if they want to come that bad, they he sort of leaves everything to them, so it makes it hard for them to get there. And he says, well, if they want to jump through all these hoops and be here, then I respect that, and yeah, uh, exactly, they obviously yeah. want a job. Yeah, he's a clever guy. So, but the trouble is, once you get further on than a pro circuit thing, you start into it's not work visas, it's green cards, and it oh, it just turns into a yeah real drama. It's when you have to get a ring on the finger, isn't it? If I'm one to marry, oh, yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, well, I, we look down that road, <laughs> but it's uh, it's not so simple as that. No, it's, it's messy uh, as well now. Yeah, but it, it, you know, like I was lucky with the DBR thing that I got a journalist visa which gave me until my passport expired unlimited travel to the states so when you all right so then you was a mechanic robbie reynard you that said 98 yeah i mean going back let's uh, say 93 i was in the states then in the winter a guy called tom morgan who was a former factory jeff ward's mechanic offered me to build engines he was porting engines but he was spending too long assembling them so he paid me so i lived in clearwater building engines for him while he was porting him and he was teaching me how to do engine tuning and stuff, which was cool because I learned a lot of stuff I didn't know before. And then a guy called Joe DeCosta, an American guy who worked for Suzuki, uh, asked if I would be interested in working for Billy Lyles in Europe. And Billy's just come off his action workshop Honda thing and he was rider for the Vertimati, the four-stroke people. So we went there, I worked with him. Like three months I walked out, I couldn't do it. Back in Europe this is? Yeah, yeah, I lived in Monza, lived in Italy. Oh, okay. So got the truck from Action Workshops. He, he leased that for a year, picked that up, drove to Italy, started trying to build these four strokes. And it just like three weeks before the first race, there was Billy and Joel Smets on the team and we just didn't have enough bits. Billy was breaking everything you gave him. Smets is a big old boy and we just, between us, we're like, look, one of us needs to go because to give the other an opportunity. And so I quit. I couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't have the hours in the day. I was knackered. I just, I was, I was miserable. And Is then, that you'd come? So you'd gone to America, come back, and then went back to America again. I went back to America in '96 with Paul Eddie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking, Paul Eddie. Yeah, that was '96. 
Oh, enduro. Well, it's yeah, not enduro. It's like multi-lap enduro. Right, okay. Stuff, yeah. so. I was going to say, so you've done it all then, a bit of enduro mechanic in. Yeah, enduro stuff's hard work. People don't give those guys credit enough, I don't think. Oh, music to Billy's ears, that'll be. No, it's <laughs> fuck. As a, I don't know, as a rider, Jesus, nothing to do with me. But the mechanics, you know, like when you go out in practice, bike's out there for 10, 15 minutes, you get to like check everything. I don't know practicing that multi-lap enduro thing. First time you see him is half an hour in. That's a whole moto. Yeah. First time they come past. And you think, oh, if he's done a lap, nothing's going to fall off. <laughs> and then you're trying to calculate the fuel stops and all that. Oh, it's intense, man. Yeah. What, was, what was he doing then? GNCC as GNCC such? stuff, yeah. Factory Suzuki. And um, so I worked with him in the end of 96. We went over. 97 worked with him. Then Factory Suzuki around 98. And then 99, I was supposed to work for Mike Brown for your boss. And um, never happened. Wow. When he was on Cat Honda? Yeah, so Brownie approached me, knowing I had visa issues at Bercy, asked me if I'd work with him the following year, and I'm like, yeah, no problem. And so I came home thinking that was done, and then when I came back, Keith was doing it. So I'm like, you ain't going to argue with that, he's got his dad doing it, and that's the end of it, you know what I mean? So, And then I went back out with Paul the following year, in 2000, 2001 at Kawasaki. Which years was Jamie out there as well? Because didn't you hang about with you? Yeah, Jamie Jamie was there when I was first there in 93. He was at Pro Circuit. Oh, okay. Yeah, then I say factory, well, factory team green, Kawasaki with Paul, but we were Pro Circuit at that point, so I spent a lot of time in PC. So did, did Pro Circuit run an Enduro team than a GNCC yeah, team? Yeah, they sponsored the, they were su- supplier to the team green team. Because so that's what Mitch actually done. <laughs> Mitch was desert off, racing, he was wasn't a desert, it? He loves the off-road stuff, and Bones yeah. especially. Bones really loves the off-road stuff. So if you were like Team Green off-road guy, you could get whatever you wanted out of there. It was meant. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Of, um, when I was when I used to go there, I used to get on really well with Mitch. So I used to go over his house and um, yeah, he used to show me pictures of the desert racing. And yeah, that no, sort he's of thing. big into that. I mean, like you used to spend every night at PC sitting drinking beer while they were on the dyno, and it's like a who's who there. That's how you know all your people. Yeah, and there was Ali Seymour there and Joey Mao and all the guys that were faces all just sitting around drinking beer after the hours you know that's where you go I must admit even when we went you just go in and you crash into every rider and any, oh God, anyone like, and everyone would be at the, like at the show it's like a who's who the motocross action guys are there all the test guys are coming in yeah especially, it was good especially in January when everybody's out there it's like the go-to place if you had a flat tyre you go to PC and get yourself fixed yeah, you just up. get everything it's close and it? it's close to all the tracks as well yeah. I guess so. so it's a good place to be but you know Mitch works them hard you know Mitch he offered me a job like four years on the trot. And then the fifth year he said to me, he said, I'll never offer you a job again. <laughs> Fuck, I've upset him. And he's like, if you ever need a job, you come and see me. But and I think like, he does oh, work them hard. They all say that, don't they? Yeah. And the thing that bothered me is like, the race mechanic's hard enough. But like Mitch would... Come on, tell me. That ain't me. Who's no, that's me. Tell me, 11, yeah, 11 yeah. episodes deep and you still not worked out. He's got a bit of cash as well here. Oh, what wanted the tenor to come on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but like Mitch would... You know, you work on your, from what I can see, you work on your bike all day. And then if, if you were done, they'd have you working on some amateur kids' bike or. Yeah, don't like, stop. Fuck, or w- literally walking around a workshop cleaning something. If you, I think it's even worse if you haven't got a ride. If your ride is injured, then your job's a real nightmare in yeah, this workshop. I think so. I think so. But, you know, he's a successful guy. Who are we to say he's not doing it right, you know? Yeah, he's surrounded himself with winners and doers and yeah. done well from it. When, so. um, when I used to go in the winter in 2000 and. 11 when I rode for CLS here because there was that link then all of a sudden yeah. with Pro Circuit when CLS team was, I don't know, they used to buy all the parts anyway. Everyone buys everything from Mitch, don't they? He doesn't yeah. really give much away. Um, so the team obviously had a deal, but my mechanic come out and it was his dream. Like 
he was a um, Belgian mechanic, Ito, and he was so happy. Like the Mitch says, oh, if you want your mechanic and do the bike in the, um, it was out the back of his workshop, like in the back room where the tr- they parked yeah. the truck. Yeah. And I had a little garage at the house, and I got Ito a, a truck to drive. Just like I spent this three grand on a truck, a little Toyota Tacoma thing, and um, I said to him, you can do the bike in the garage, or you can do it at Pro Circuit. They've got a little bay for you out the back, and he was like. I'm doing it at Pro Circuit and he, he just yeah. set off in the morning in his truck. He was the same on he beers after work, yeah, and oh, yeah, sweep the workshop, like loved that. it. To join them for the little beers at six o'clock, he'd leave when I wasn't riding for a day, he'd leave at seven in the morning and he'd come back at like eight at night and I'd just say, good day, and he was just like, the best. <laughs> he was, he'd was he have the beers and he was like, oh, I was having beers with Mitch and the guys after. He was like, incredible, I, I, I'm so happy with this, like, thank you, thank you, and uh, he was over the moon to yeah, be it's in a that fun situation. Place to hang out. It is. Some of the stories come out of those. Just as a mechanic, like a dream thing funny. as a mechanic, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And it's like, if you want to get on, you need to be seen there, really. that's Yeah. So after you'd done your time at um, mechanic, and I'm guessing, it, did you then, because you stayed in America then, because you was DBR yeah, but and 90, Smith at as the well. end of 98, DBR approached me about doing some... Like a how-to series, which is where the dot wob thing came from. It was basically they stuck me in a doctor's coat, and this is how you stick stickers. Ah, oh, really? That's where you, that come from. Yeah, yeah. This is how you bleed brakes. This is how you change wheel bearings. I remember seeing those in the when I was a kid getting the dirt bike rides. That's where I sort of remember seeing. So the we used to go and shoot those two or three episodes at a time, and that was good because it got your name out there and everything else. So that was not ninety nine. I was doing a lot of that, and then was I carried on doing that. That's when I got the work visa because that was really good for Kawasaki. Um, so that helped me a lot. And then um, the magazine thing didn't really kick off until I was working for Smith, which was like oh three. Started with Smith goggles. They approached me. At, I was over there for what was going to be the Nations. That was oh two, maybe the end of oh two. That was supposed to be the Nations at some Indian reserve somewhere. That never happened. Mm, I remember. And I was with Jamie, and they did some race at Champions Race at Glen Helen, and I got approached there to do Smith goggles, and I'm like goggles. I'm not fucking goggles. But it turns out instead of doing one guy with everything, you're doing 30 guys with the goggles and that. And they're quite, what's the word? They're quite. It's quite a hard job. It's quite hard. It's a lot harder than I anticipated. I thought it was going to be a piece of piss. Yeah. But it's, you're dealing with Ezra Lusk and these guys and they're really weird about what they want. It's an important want. job as well, like vision in the race. It's yeah, a, big, it is. It's a you, lot bigger deal than I, I properly underestimated it. I did. You know, I thought it's going to be a piece of paper, but it's really quite tense. And that, that's when I met you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the year I know you from, 05 yeah. onwards, really. Well, I got approached from Steve Gutteridge to help you when you were on 85s. Oh, really? Because you had Uvex goggles, which yeah, we did. fucking yeah. terrible, apparently. <laughs> and Steve came to me and he said, look, can you can we run the Uvex strap? And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't do that. But Steve's a good egg, you know. Yeah, he Steve's said, good look, He said, well, if we can just get them through this year, we'll sign for you for nothing next year. Oh. I think we did, didn't we or not? Yeah, then I had you from then and then in your pro career until you went to the States, really. Yeah, you yeah. were Smith a long time. No, not, well, not long. Uh, you were Smith until you went to America. Did then I you, wear Smith then, on KTM? Yeah. Both years? Yeah, yeah, yeah you were my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. I remember. Well, Smith was like the top goggle at the time. Yeah, no, that was the nuts. And you I know, don't know why it had... I, it was just one of the best. Like, I was remember being so happy to wear Smith goggles. Yeah, it's good stuff. End of the day, and they were paying me to make sure you guys were happy. So you had a guy who just. My job on a Friday was find Wob. He'd be dragging a massive Ojo kit bag through, and I'd literally <laughs> find him in the paddock at whichever race we're at, and he'd just hand me, you'd hand Packet. me like packets of them, wouldn't you, with Packet. all different things written on them. Yeah, 
in Europe, no one else done that service in Europe at that time. No, well, that's when I was in the States, but, you know, the first three years, I think that's where I got burnt out from going to the races because it was like every supercross, every national. Then when there was a week off, or even if there wasn't a week off, Loretta Lynn's, Vegas, Mini, Mini, whatever it's called. And then whenever there was a proper week off, Grand Prix. And I did that for three years. So I worked like 45 weekends. So the go- oh, so the goggles was fucking Yeah, and up, I, think, I think what bothered me with the goggles that I realised after about three months and you're not there to say yes to people you're there to say no and like you'd have sunglasses in the truck and people would come up just like small talk oh, what do you think about the truck and you're thinking just fucking ask me for something I'll say no and you can move on because <laughs> I didn't have enough I just didn't have enough to keep everybody happy and it was just they realised soon enough that you're not actually there just to give stuff away you're there to yeah, you're doing a job. It's really hard. We it? used to do that, didn't we? We used to find Wob, try and get some bastard sunglasses. Then we go from <laughs> you straight to Alpine Star, see what we could get free oh, out the, of them. The free stuff I used to try at Alpine Stars, the first couple of years in GPs, every week, new socks. As soon as the Sprinter van come up, he'd beeline for it, be the first sure. there. What have you got for me? What T-shirts? T-shirts. Everyone used to get... You had more... Everyone gave more stuff back then than I think now. so. I think a lot more gear was flowing about. I mean, we used to have... I mean, like, I used to have a birthday. They used to have like big trade shows in America like I was born in San Diego and they'd give me all the sample stuff I mean boxes of stuff yeah and it was not like that now. and that was for you to give away or keep or do what you want with really basically yeah I mean I used to have I think at one time I had 800 pairs of sunglasses wow yeah just that I'd gathered yeah, it's you, nuts but, but a lot of them you don't get that now no it's crazy there's a lot of stuff about at the time but it was you know also you you would struggle you know like you know like Chris Porcel for example um the year he won, Smith, yeah. Yeah, the year he won the World Championship. And the deal was I would have the goggles. I'd give you six or eight pairs of goggles, whatever, for the race. And then whatever you'd worn, I'd get back. I'd clean them up, put your name on them, and then you'd have them back again. Well, Chris didn't give me nothing back. <laughs> no, that For like that four months. Surprise, yeah. And he wanted the foam from two years previous, which was quite a hard foam. It was really good at, like, getting the sweat off your face, but... If it fitted your face, it was mint, but if it didn't, there was no give. You'd get dirt in if your nose yeah. was the wrong shape, and it f- fitted in perfect. So I gathered every single pair of these goggles we'd possibly ever owned, and he had like 60 pairs for the year, and by four races in, I had nothing back. <laughs> he just so kept I just them all. started giving him tear-offs, because I'm like, you're obviously going to do them yourself. Then he was moaning that I wasn't building his goggles, and my, I said, he said to my, my boss, rang me, and I'm like, well, you ain't giving me nothing. He's like, well, what can you do? Yeah, he's a funny man. I got on well with him and his mechanic. His mechanic now is the crew chief at Kimea. So, yeah. he's a good egg. He's really nice, actually. Super nice. You've done a year with Paul Sell, didn't you? At CLS, yeah. he's, again, character. I really, I, oh um, really like... Well, it's just odd, but I, I get along with him well. And then he, when he come back to GPs, he come back like a couple of years ago and was just floating around the paddock after he come back from America because he split up with his... He was for America, money. I'm going to live in America yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah, he was done, yeah. And then... I, he split up with his missus and now he hates America. He doesn't, didn't want to go anymore. Um, and then he was like this new man, like chatting to everyone in the paddock, high-fiving people. And you just, you, everyone was like, this, what's happened? This man is not, <laughs> this is not Christoph Porcel. Because even when I had him as a teammate, one day you'd, you'd come up and he'd be chatting to your best mate. I remember being in Brazil riding roller coasters and that with him. Um, and then the following weekend, he'd just walk past you, completely ignore you. Like you, you didn't even, you'd never met this man before in your life. It's yeah, just he was so a, odd. He was a strange boy, but I liked him. I didn't dislike the kid. He was good as gold, really. He never caused me any dramas, but never moan about nothing. No. Nah. But he'd be stood talking to his mechanic in French and, like, obviously talking about you. 
You're like, that's fucking rude, that is. <laughs> yeah, because he would have been, he done, that's the type of thing he'd done. He would speak perfect English, but he would have a conversation to his someone in French and then they'd tell you in English. Yeah, and you know for what they were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Sebastian was different. He was more friendly, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good at that. I got and the old man there. They're all cool. No problem. Mm. You know, the same with the laces. Everybody bows mouths the laces, but they're all right with me. Uh, I see them do some fucked up stuff, but not to me. <laughs> so, You've got them with both of them. Yeah, a less, we used to go to a lessee. Yeah, I used to hate it when you say I go to a lessee's house. It was fucking yeah, miles no, away. Everybody used to moan, but Jeff, a lessee's funny. Yeah, I got. I, I we got on so well, even with um, Tony. He was like, oh, he's right, never yeah. said a bad. I didn't know why everyone was. He must have been a bit crazy, obviously, with the stories. You probably know more than me, but we used to go up there when I first went to America. So two thousand and nine, most weeks we was up there because Kurt Nickel obviously got on quite well with the lessons, yeah. I think, um, because the the first year <clears throat> we used to go up and just. He would hold races at his house in the week. And because I want racing supercross, and I don't think he was, um, he would literally, and we wanted to te- we wanted to see where he was at. Everyone would sort of go a lessies to see where he was at. He'd fix the track in this desert, like unreal outdoor track, spend hours watering it. Like You can see where he's, if his dad spent the money, but it was all spent on his track trying yeah. to make him better. He'd spend hours on the track. We'd get there. Track would be fully watered. He would have like a team of people with stopwatches around their necks. His missus would stopwatch. Someone else would stopwatch. His like, missus used to write everyone's lap yeah, time down. Yeah, everyone's lap time. We'd go out qualifying. He'd have everyone's lap time. See where you qualified. That's where you'd go out for your race. Um, then, yeah, we'd race. It was just nuts. And then he'd have supercross days where you was fully lined up behind the gate. You would set off. He even done it this year. I watched like a live on his Facebook. He was doing supercross races before the season. But yeah, good no, stuff. They were cool. But like... With most people, if you're doing the best you can, they're all right with you. Yeah. It's when you're trying to shortchange people that don't like it. Yeah, true. It's you true. know, it's like with with James. I got friendly with James Stewart because I used to do Ezra's goggles at Smith. And I used to go and find him between races. And after like two supercrosses, he's like, look, you don't need to come and find me. I'd go and find him in his truck or wherever he was. Quite a private guy. Who's this? Lusk or Stewart? Lusk. And Lusk. he would be like, listen, I want... I want three pairs of yellow goggles in my cupboard, three pairs of blue, three pairs of clear. I want a seven laminates, 14 laminates, and a roll-off in each colour. And I'll wear whatever I think I need, and can you just replace it? Yeah. So I used to have to go in the truck, upstairs in the truck, and go in his locker and just see what he'd worn and replace it. That was that easy. Well, Yeah, that was kind of Yeah, well, James is sitting there because he's quite a shy kid. And we're not talking about, we're talking about, Girls and cars and all that stuff. He's a lovely bloke. Yeah. Away from the racing. Yeah. Yet I'd see him out and about in the track and he wouldn't say hello. No. <laughs> he's there to do a job though, isn't he? Very much. But I like the kid. He's funny. You know, he is. Yeah, that is different. That's what the outside view to people to someone that actually sits in the truck and yeah. you see and a completely sitting there side, with all you? this gear around you. I mean, you have to clear a space to sit down. There's so much stuff. Yeah, I can imagine he got quite a lot of free shit. Yeah, a lot of stuff. And, Mr. Know. Jamie Dobb was pretty good at collecting the free shit. Yeah, I remember going to his house good. once and seeing like 80 DC shoes in a box. Yeah. When I first lived there, he had so many DC shoes. Oh, he'd collect them. I yeah, see, I only ever had one set of gear off James that, that gear he, he landed on Carmichael wearing. So I got that. Oh, from Stuart? Yeah. That's, there's a, uh, there's a question the on. Yellow stuff, wasn't it? Or green stuff? Blue, I think, yeah. Oh, maybe it says got swagger got on the back. There's, yeah. a, there's a good question in here that, was, that we'll come back to, but it was, a, it was about your man cave. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. So when we flick the questions up, I'll definitely pull that one out. Oh, I'm getting nervous about them. <laughs> so that was um, it's pretty, pretty um, in-depth career you've had in terms of mechanic in to then goggles to then DBR and so on. What, well, yeah, what do you think is the best part about? I think the coolest thing was it was Vegas in like 03. I was in the back of the truck and I knew Tim March was a BMX guy. I kind of knew him. I didn't know him that well. Came in the truck and said, we want to talk to you. And I'm like, about what? And they were starting, they had a good BMX and a good mountain bike and a good skateboard magazine. And they wanted to start a motocross magazine and be like, you're the man. I'm like, uh, I'm not a magazine editor, kid. I got a job, you know what I mean? I can't do that shit. And so they like, we don't need you to be an editor. What we need you to do is get us in places. Oh, I can do that. And so they approached me and we started Moto. But what was cool about that is they gave me like, carte blanche to do anything I wanted like hire the photographers hire the people it was mint and I didn't yeah. want to use all the same people no just no offense to Ray Archer and all these guys who were already doing everything I didn't want it to look the same as everybody else so we got to pick and choose from all the people who were doing the BMX mags and everything else so the the magazine looked completely different it didn't sell but it looked cool as fuck it was uh, cool when it first came out I remember it well it was cool it always seemed to carry some clout what year was that it came out in like Easter 04 because they approached me at the end of 03 yeah, no, I do remember it all coming out. And my boss was cool enough because I was, he said, as long as it doesn't affect your job, you can do what you want. And I was, I had to go and buy myself an Apple laptop because I couldn't open any of the stuff they were sending me. And I was literally stopping on the side of the road, driving across country, finding a McDonald's, getting internet and sitting there and working on the magazine before you had to get on again and do everything else. Um, I'm pretty sure that would have brought some nice opportunities as well your way. That was meant, yeah. You could say it's... That if you're going to ask someone that knows anyone about riding or riders, you'd probably want to ask because I'm pretty sure your phone book's quite yeah, I know, quite stacked up. I know a lot of people. But a lot of the guys who I know have all retired now, you know? Like, I watch the American Supercrosses and I don't know any of them. No. And so my interest is... Even my stuff. Yeah, you know, I think me. that now. Even the young kids, I'm like... Yeah, I don't know who these kids are. I mean, I'm interested if one of the mechanics, but most of the mechanics I used to hang out with are all done anyway. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested, like Zach Osborne, but he's done now because I dealt with him but once you've got that personal connection gone you're like I don't care who wins yeah we're yeah. watching when you have someone to follow it makes this, it makes stuff so much more interesting than yeah, anything yeah because you know a little bit more backstory you know what they've been through you know if there's been a drama or if they're doing well or if they're battling through an injury nobody knows about or even if the nans died you know what I mean mm. they got the arse about something so it's much more interesting but when you don't yeah, you need someone to follow don't you even, nope. even now, I think, like, well, Caroli retired this yeah. this week, and that's, like, for me, an end of an eerie, like, fucking exactly. hell. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I mean, I've still got a lot of interest with the Grand Prix, with the bolts and stuff we do, and that's It's like a new thing, getting back into the teams. Yeah, it? exactly. So there we, But I don't deal with the riders anywhere near like I used to. It's more just the team So that. So then magazine and then importing bikes, wasn't it? That was a big part for Yeah, well, what I was doing is I was getting paid in dollars. So I'd be talking, to, it started off when I was at Suzuki, like we were putting bikes together at the end of the year for sale. Because you start with a stock bike, take everything off, it ends of things like a rolling chassis, build your race bike, and that thing would just sit in the corner of the workshop to the end of the year. And then it's like, oh, you've got to build these bikes. And you're like, fuck, really? Worst job in the year, you know what I mean? Trying to make bikes. Oh, build, build them back up for sale. sale. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, so I'm putting it together. And I said to the team boss at the time, Billy Whitley, I'm like, who buys these? You can have them if you want. How much? So then he told me, and I'm like, really? Well, if I'm building it, it's going to be mint, isn't it? Yeah. Because I'm going to be in the cupboard getting all the good stuff now because I'm buying the bike. <laughs> so then I went to all the other mechanics, said, look, I'll give you 100 bucks a bike to make them nice. All right. 
Well, they do two a day. It's like a thousand bucks a week for them. Yeah. Mega. Well, I'd buy all the bikes then. And, I'd and spend, a dollar was good. A dollar was good. And I had money, I had dollars in the bank because I hadn't been spending it. So I had dollars. And I mean, when I was at Suzuki, I did quite well because there's a thing at Suzuki called per diem, which is like per day. Latin, I guess. And it was only like 35, 40 bucks a day. But it was an extra allowance when you were away from home. Yeah. To cover your extra expenses. Yeah, even well, I think when I was at KTM in America, they gave that. Yeah, well, my, my address was in England. So I had it for 365 days for the year. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I just like meant. And then, I, of course, I caught the end of the box van days where the mechanic used to get looked after like 10% of the rider. And I remember the second Supercross, I picked Robbie up from the airport. He's too young to rent a car. And he'd be like, well, there's your bonus from last week. And I'd looked at the prize money thinking, oh, I'm in for 60 bucks or 100 bucks or something, which is 10% of his prize money. And he gave me like 10% of everything. Like the clothing, the goggles, the helmets, the money from Suzuki and everything. I got like 1500 a week, $1,500 a week bonus. Yeah, that's nice. They can't still do that now, sure. No, well, that's what happened when you get these big trucks. and Yeah, all the teams. All the guys are there, so that's kind of screwed that up. Yeah, they can't do it to one guy now when you've got five guys. No, exactly. And that's when, like, Carmichael used to have that deal with Chad Watts, and it was just getting so much money. Yeah, some say... The car, like Carmichael's mechanics, were earning millions, weren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, literally. Well, say goose five, six hundred grand a year for so a mechanic. Yeah, a lot of bank. Because oh. you'd be on ten percent of the championship money. It was, it was insane. Yeah. So if Carmichael got a million for a championship, that means grand. mate, he's hundred grand. Then he's got two hundred grand because he's won the outdoors well. So then, yeah. He's but was this a deal that the like, they the riders would sign with the mechanic, or that was part of the riders' Never deal? Sign anything? It was no. just like an unwritten thing, really. You just the riders them. used to just. Like quite happily I th- say, I think the riders, if they liked you, I think if they didn't. But I think it wasn't like you said at that point. It was an unwritten rule. Yeah, it's basically what he did. If if rider didn't do it, he was, he was frowned, an arsehole, he was frowned yeah. upon. Because a few didn't do it. I think I think Bale did it, but they don't tip, do they? So that's no. the different mentality. But most of them did, and it was it was quite lucrative. I mean, like I got to know Carmichael because he'd beat us every week, and the difference between second and first was like fourteen hundred dollars for me. And we were like eight supercrosses in, and he said hello as he walked past. I'm like, you can fuck off. <laughs> and he's like, what? I said, you owe me 22 grand. Because <laughs> he keeps taking And he week. actually apologised to me on the podium that night. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and who, that was when you was whose mechanic? Lusk? Oh, no, no, it was Raynard's mechanic. Oh, Raynard's. Yeah, a lot, everything. It's like I spoke to Jeff Emig, and I'm like, every question's 97 for him. What's your best? You're 97, 97. Well, same for me, 98 was my pinnacle of my career, I think. You know, so a lot of the cool stuff happened then. With Raynard, I mean, not that same. We were on three or four years with Paul Eddie, and you know they were fun. Yeah, yeah. funny. What driving around just all the races? Oh my god, we had a whale of a time. How we got any results? There'll be some questions about those years, I reckon. In a minute, oh my god, we've got got a few people that know you, and I've got some stories. Uh, You have to catch us up. How we got any results is a miracle, really. Did he win out there? He won. Yeah, he won. He won a championship. I got the bike in office. Come on, then, give us a story. Give us one that that rings true. We've got them on there in a minute. Well, yeah, I know, but we'll see if they tally up with what Wob's thinking. Uh, I don't know if I can even talk about it. <laughs> yeah, half the stories, is, well, you can, but it's just, you can't at the same time. Not if there's kids watching <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was fun times, for sure. You know, hanging out with Shirty and Dobber was fun at the time. And This is now, in America, whilst in America? Yeah, yeah, we were there a lot, you know what I mean? And just driving around. When we were first at Suzuki, we had two vans and he used to have like a big camper and I'd drive the box van and then... 
at Cowie, we had a big fun mover thing and chaos. And that's hanging out a pro circuit, then going racing. It was fun, fun yeah. times. All right, I've got, I'm going to pull up some questions now. This is one from Aaron Nelson. He's asked one question, but I'm going to split it into two. So he said, the best race you've ever witnessed, Euro or US, but let's have both. Ryan Hughes and Mike Brown, high point, oh, three maybe, oh, four. I've never seen a race like that. Good motor. Never seen uh, I've never was seen it. Was that the round before the end of the season? It was like halfway through and Brownie was on uh, Yamaha. I don't even remember what bike he was on. I know Rhino was on a KTM. Yeah, Mahara Troy Brown he was on. I think. I've never seen a race like that. I've was never it the race where guys. they was like get bumping each other off the track and Just then they still thrilling. pinned down the track I've and then joining back on the track? Like that was one of them. Another one was Strybos and Van der Berk in like 87. I was with Merv at some Genk or some, we were support for some Dutch championship. And Merv wouldn't give a shit about anybody else but himself. And he said to me, come on, watch this. I'm like, what do you mean? And at the time, you know, like when you're growing up, you go to the AMCA races and there's a local guy to us, Rob Aston. You didn't think you could ride a 125 any faster than that guy because he was flat out. How can you go faster than flat out, you know? Yeah. And you stand there and watch Vanderberg and Strybos going at it and you're just like, fuck. You just... Yeah, I would, I've never seen her. I would like to have seen the 125 races properly. I'm yeah. going to have to do a bit of YouTube in tonight see if yeah, we can find any. insane I've how fast they the one of Rob's, The one that Rob's talking about, about... Brownie and Rhino is on YouTube. It's on the Great Outdoors. That is the best race I've ever seen. It'll be O th- you wouldn't O3, put, did you say? You wouldn't have put a tenner on who came out of the next corner first. No, like they were trying to kill each just, other. Yeah, I mean, and they both were just going at it. It was insane. It was the best race I've ever seen. And the, the, it's the, if you haven't seen the Great Outdoors, they're the best um, motocross videos ever. And then that's on there. And the bloke talking about the and them coming into the round and that. 2009 is the best one. When you done a couple yeah, of did a, for did a bit for him. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, when you see the video, you see a lot more of it when you're in the mechanics area. You don't see a lot. No, you don't. And you just see the bits you see. Another one was when I was with Rob Andrews at Namur in 88, and that's when Carlquist stopped for a beer. And they used to put the Kawasaki privateers together. And we're next door to Carlquist, and I'm hanging out with his mechanic. And we stood there, and the, the commentary's in Belgian or whatever language, and they, they're all going mental. I'm just looking at him, giving out what's going on. He's <laughs> just going to understand a word, and they're like, oh, he's laughing. He said if he had a lead, he was going to stop for a beer at the cafe, and I'm like, never. <laughs> I didn't see it, but I was there. And so he did He did stop, though, didn't he? He stopped for a beer, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, that's good. That's the coolest thing ever. The bottom bit. I didn't see it, but I see the videos. Yeah, because that I, wouldn't happen now, would it? He can pass all covered, all wet, covered in beer. Well, you can't even race minute. them all now. Let now have a beer. Yeah, I know, but still, so no one would just—you wouldn't pull over and just neck one of the fans' beers off the side of the track. No, it was his brother. Oh, was it? Yeah, his, his brother, brother was, had the his beer brother ready. Was waiting for him. They arranged it. They said, "If I've got like a thirty-second lead," and he looked at him next lap, and his brother's hanging over the fence <laughs> with his beer, and he had like the Oakley had an open face mask helmet on, Oakley face mask, just lifted it up. Basically threw it in his face. <laughs> and then carried and then carry that, was, that was nice because racing the moor, obviously it's gone now, but I got was quite happy I got to race that track. That's insane. Place. How many times did you get to race it? Uh, 2006, I went and hit a tree in qualifying and knocked myself out. <laughs> <laughs> and then 27, I went, 2007, I went and won the race. Oh, cool. It's a, it's so to win it in the moor, that's quite cool. Can you imagine trying to get a track like that through, like, uh, like building control now. Oh, I just wouldn't, would it? Never happen in a million years. I, I remember walking it, thinking this is fucking. That's no, insane, mad. man. Some of them, yeah, walking it is. It's just mad how. Thinking now that I was I raced them, how long ago that seems. I'm walking mm. the track, but I do remember just thinking this is. I nuts. always thought as a. How do you remember? 
because they all look the same. All the corners look the same to me as a mechanic. I mean, yeah. my days of walking the track, I didn't want nothing to do with me. Why would I walk the track? But it was like you'd go out there thinking, you know, like at the time, it was one of those races where they let you, they used to let you around the track on scooters. So we used to go and I used to go on out with Jared Smith and we'd just and tear about. Just <laughs> yeah, that was good. I wish they let us do that now. You, even when I started, you wanted to go around a track on scooters. Yeah, we used to have them Honda Cubs and we used to go ripping around. And stuff. Honda Cubs. You so must have a couple of those at yours. I've got three of them, yeah. Because you can't get them now, can you? You don't ride them because you can't get the plastic. You break a plastic, it's scrap it. Oh, can't. really? You don't even, they're cool, but it's, well, they've all got flat batteries and flat tyres and stuff because you can't even run them. No. They used to be the funnest thing in the world. But Right, here we go. Luke Bond 23. Do you prefer to work on older bikes or newer bikes? And also, what brand do you prefer? I like a Yamaha. Do you? I don't know why. I like working on Yamahas. I just like the way they bought it together. I've always thought a factory Yamaha's... It'd be raised about Hondas, but I've always thought a factory Yamaha looks cool, just because yeah. it's much more understated. Yeah, the I mean, old ones or the new ones or old ones. I mean, nineties uh, is my expertise, really. You know, eighties I was learning. By the time the nineties come around, I kind of got the hang of it. And throughout the nineties was like the peak of my career. So they're the bikes that I kind of know. Which is why I'm such a pain in the ass building these because I know what they got to look like. Yeah. And so everybody- this one here, this is a was this. The factory yam considered like at the time yeah that's what that's as close to as close to we try to replicate it as best we can but yeah. i know what it's got to look like and things like the cerakote on the cases and it's like six attempts in before it's right yeah can't so just, that's why you do that's why you enjoy the 90s bike so much because I, I know where i can't build a four stroke i've never built one i could probably do it yeah you can work on one if you want it obviously yeah, of course i can but i don't like to i got you know tone works for me he's mint at those just let him do it he's yeah. mega at it you know why would i have a dog and bark yourself. Yeah. Now this is, like you say, if this is your era and what you used to build, I'm pretty sure you probably do it with your eyes closed. Yeah, that's like that. That's the technology that I understand, and that's the technology that I know how to make work. And if I don't know, I can ring somebody who does. Well, here you go. And this leads on quite nicely to Lee Lee Gilly's one or Lee Gill. Lee Gill. Wob. Any advice on how to smoothen the power delivery on an RM250? Depends what year it is. He's missed out the year. I've got some on that. So, oh, let me get some of my questions. I've got <laughs> well, you could, hundreds of questions. There's really. a few things you can do. Simpler fly, simpler. Um, spacer on the reblock does a lot. You can basically take the, the gasket out of the reblock and make like a 10 mil spacer, and that moves the carb away from the cylinder and gives it a nicer power delivery. Flywheel weight goes a long way. So between a flywheel weight and a reblock spacer, and then if you want to go crazy, you can cut a hole in the back of the piston. That smooths it out as well, but you're going to break a piston eventually doing that. There we go, Lee. We should be charging for that advice, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, go. probably will. <laughs> I get a bit, he knows the name. He's now. going to he send us a bill now. <laughs> um, what's your favourite uh, VETS designation bike you've built throughout the years? I mean, not the most, uh, John Michel Bale. I mean, anything you do for that guy is just a legend. Oh, he's come over and raced the bet designation. Yeah, it's 14 or something. But just to build a bike for JMB was big news for me. I mean, I've done them for a lot of people, but to build one for me, I was nervous because he brought his mechanic with him, John Marie, and I'm stood there watching and he ain't checking shit. And I'm thinking, oh, God, these things are falling apart, man. They just do. It's just like when yeah. you first build a bike like that, you know, they you've got to check the spokes, you've got to check this. And I'm watching him and I'm thinking, I ain't going to go and tell him what to do. <laughs> but oh, but go and check it. Go and check it, please, because it's... Yeah, that's the one. Um, is Tommy the worst customer for pestering you whilst you've been mid-build on a bike? Nowhere near. Nowhere near. I was going to say <laughs> that. Nowhere near the worst. Which is why we don't do. I can imagine you have some people. We don't do many customer builds at all. 
Do you, I'm guessing you build them and then sell them when they're done. The best way for us is like we build them to order. That way the customer gets what they want. There are people who ring me and they'll say, what do you got? And I'm like, oh, got KX500 CR phone. Oh, I want a 98 CR phone. Yeah, I got one of those. What do you want it to look like? I want it to look like a Hot Wheels bike. Okay. So then we go through the spec, the price, and then I build it to order. Basically, there's very few that we end up building and then try to sell. That's very rare that happens. But then do they not pest you then when they're building it to order? Yeah, but not as bad. Not too much? No, not too bad. Tommy wasn't too bad. Because no, I was good. Not like I don't know you and I can't tell you just to do mm. one. <laughs> no, I was. Uh, I just left you to it, you know. No. It takes time. It's it's not not like you're, you're buying a part off the shelf. Quite a lot of stuff on Tommy's bike you've had made and done and yeah, tested. Exactly. That and was slow because we hadn't made any of the stuff. So to get the stuff made is a lot of time and effort and money. But now we've got all the stuff, it's a lot easier. And it's like, which is a if big you can click your fingers and you can take the frame and then you can click your fingers and it's back from the fabricators, but it's gone for three weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, the One guy, thing holds the guy who does up. my fabrication builds BMW saloon car roll cages. So we can only do it when you've got time. He's got a busy job anyway. can't yeah. drop everything to do it. Yeah. And then it goes from there to be powder coated. So you haven't got the frame for like six weeks. Yeah. I've got one. 155 Woody. Your favourite bike of all time and the most factory part you've ever seen on a bike? YZM500 Yamaha. YZM500? Yeah, it's the trickiest thing I've ever seen. Who rode that? Uh, Vimon started riding it, got hurt. Uh, so they gave his bike to Kurt Lundqvist and then Leif Pearson rode them. Uh, it was like 87 and 88. They had like six bikes every year. Most so fa- YZ500? Most, most factory thing you've ever seen. Because the Yamaha at the time didn't make a 500. They made an air called 490. And this thing was nothing like it. It was the factoriest thing you've ever seen. Oh, it was literally a one of a kind. Well, aluminium frame in 87. So it was 18 years, I think, before that came production. So imagine having something now and it's not going to be in production for 18 years. Yeah, that is nice. Things like coolest thing. Was I mean, it it's like bike? prototype MotoGP. Oh, my shit. God, it was the coolest thing. It was like water-cooled, never made a water-cooled 500. And it was just like nothing else. It was the... Without doubt, the most factory thing you've ever seen. Did it work well at the same time? It was all right. I don't think they had the the riders to really justify the bike. Because ah. at the time, the Hondas were successful, but sometimes success isn't. Okay, so this one is from uh, Dave Wynn. How do you feel the industry has changed over the years, and how do you see it in the future? I don't know. It's <sighs> We said that a little bit before with the one mechanic doing all the bikes. Yeah, yeah. as far as the race team stuff, there's... But that's not the industry. The race team stuff is, it, it used to be one-on-one and you'd go testing, you go riding, you'd arrange everything. So <coughs> that was good. But the, the I'd say the industry's stuff, booming a bit at the minute. It seems that way. good, yeah. Just getting the stuff at the moment's hard work. You know, you can't assume anything's in stock. Like I know certain companies are like six months behind. Like I order stuff and, you know, they're three months, four months behind. Yeah, shit. And that's oh, COVID shit. and Brexit for really, you. Yeah, that's caused us a lot of problems. Um, most ridiculous request from a customer. I had a guy who wanted me to build like a Ron Lachine 1985 factory 125 Honda from nothing. I'm like, what? Well, you can't even get that. Uh, no, but I mean, we could have made it, but the money and the time would have just been, it's nice that you thought we could do it, which I'm sure we could, but it's not going to be a, don't know. Uh, we we do a lot of engineering on these things, but to make you know that pipe that that, that bike had like different frame, like the pipe up the different side. There's a guy in France made made one to look like it, but that's 
it's an insane amount of work. I don't have much money yet. I've got one question here. It's from um, Paul, Paul Maddie one two five. So you could really ruin his day here or make his day. <laughs> he's got a ninety three RM one two five. He's rebuilding one, and he keeps being told they're a load of shit. Mm-hmm. Should he keep it or should he sell it or what does he? What do you think of that bike? A load of shit. Is it? <laughs> Did one those the forks you put on my Honda? The forks on the ninety four to fifty are really good. Oh, that's the one. But it's good forks on a shit bike. Ah. Suzuki's weren't any good till 96. So, mate, you should just bomb it off. I would. <laughs> and answer. would you buy it? No. <laughs> no, the Suzuki's weren't the best in 93, 94, 95. I mean, you buy like a 93 Honda, it's a way better bike. Some There's, people say, get some naughty stories from America, but I know it's just awkward trying to tell a story uh, from nothing. It's, it's too, you can't do it. Unless you're there and in the moment, it's hard to... Yeah, and things are different. I've got kids and stuff now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the stories flow easy when the cameras aren't on. Yeah, I'll have a few beers. I'll tell you some stories. <laughs> um, this is quite a good question. There's, it's, there's two from the same guy. It's called Wolf and You Luke. Um, advice for someone who can't afford the services that you offer but is going to build a replica themselves. And then his other question was, could you get your hands on a Yandergroot horizontal shock so I'm guessing that's quite a special part. Yeah, I could probably find one. There you go then. And but then I don't know. I'll have to ask the question, but I'm sure we could. But as far as advice to do them, they're just a lot of it's common sense. But what I do see is a lot of people making a lot of effort, and people trying to make them look modern, like they'll put twin wall bars on them, black rims, and they never had them like that. Just don't, don't just stick try. to what they are. Basically, yeah. It's like all my bikes have always got like normal diameter bars on. We do gold rims if they're supposed to have gold rims and. People just seracote the death out of stuff at the moment. It's just like it wasn't supposed to be that colour. Why would you? Why would you spend? Yeah, you want to keep it how it is. Well, build it to this. Yeah, if you study, want it to look. If you want it to look like it's got a look. Just look at the pictures and do that. Don't think. Oh, just because I can do the brakes bronze. Well, don't yeah, do it. Don't get a bit excited. Ah, get do, a bit excited. People just seracote the death out of everything, and seracote's great tool, but when used in the right way. Exactly. You know, I've been messing around a lot with like on that yam. You know, like I like different textures. Like on the on the swing arm, we like dry blast the cast section so it's like a dull white and then polish the extruded part just so it just looks more factory really. there's, there's a, while we're on that yam there's a few questions on the yam what engine work was done to Mike Brown's V vet oh I know the answer to this this was this was, we spoke about this before we come on yeah no I know tell us what it's it is what same. it's just a big right fist <laughs> yeah he oh, just pins it. it I know but as you were rebuilding the bike from standard yeah we don't tune them um, oh, so it's not tuned because I was thinking the same it. about my bike. What is that in there? Yeah, we just run a slightly higher compression ratio, just so you can run decent fuel. The fuel nowadays is so shit; you've got to run decent fuel. Yeah. Um, by running decent, them Yamahas, they the carburetor is mint when it's set up, but it's a bitch to set up. They're very like it's, what, the weather changes five degrees, you're changing the carb. That and, one, that um, one there. And this, if you ever watch Brownie ride that, you, you can't turn the fuel on until the bike started up. You've got to turn the fuel off before you stop it. If you don't, the bike won't start. Oh, there's a lot to it then. Oh, yeah. We've got them big float bowls on because on them Mikuni carbs, when they're on the gas, the fuel in can't keep up with the fuel being sucked out. So it gets about half full. Then it starts foaming and the bike starts running lean. You're going to seize it. It starts, starts misfiring just before it seizes because it ain't getting enough fuel through. So you put the big float bowl on. Problem with the big float bowl, the overflow goes straight into the motor. You have to set the float so high so when he's on the gas, he's got fuel. Yeah. Oh, God, it's tricky. That's lost, as far as lost en- me. As far <laughs> I was going to say that's gone over yeah. your head. As I far mean, as engine tuning goes, 
hand on heart, it's slightly higher compression ratio, but not a lot. Carburation, good set of reeds, good pipe, good fuel. Good fuel's a biggie, and nobody so when, everybody ignores that. Similar thing to my Honda. Yeah, nothing, so nothing too special. The Honda, yeah, but when you've got the head, is that the same head it come with? That's still on it. Yeah, now? we modify it a little bit. We just so you just it, clean it basically. Just take some material off, so basically the compression ratio is a little higher. Okay. And that you get away with that if you've got good fuel. It won't detonate or anything. So I've got to run that at decent fuel. Uh, you can get away with super plus on that as long as it's fresh. Yeah. Don't go using three month old stuff. It's um, I think even you, you've said it yourself, and probably in some of the vlogs that we made that they're not the easiest things to run and ride. Like if you no, people think they're easy, but they weren't easy twenty five years ago. And you know, as far as fuel, I've given you in the garage a can of fuel left over from Farley because it won't keep. You might as well have it. Oh, okay, perfect. Jump money for that or not? That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, the I'll have a tenner off you. Yeah. yeah, I'll give that. The um, favorite project and build you've ever done? <sighs> don't know. I've done quite a few now, haven't we? I don't know. I'd like obviously. I like putting. I like putting RM two fifty engines in RMZ frames. Why would you do that? It's just a mint bike when it's done. RM, so it'd be an RM... RM250, anything after 04 was a good motor. Because when I was at Suzuki, uh, I was hanging around at Suzuki a lot when I was at Smith. And um, in like 04, because they decided they weren't going to make two strokes anymore, Yeah. all the development, they didn't hold anything back. They just put everything on it. So the 05, 06 RM250 is like factory bikes, really good. 252 stroke. 252 stroke, best motor in the world. So, so your man that's got that 125, he needs to swap up for a 250. Yeah, the night is... I mean, I, I just bought a mint RM 250 as well. Are we getting a build out of it? No. Keeping it? Mm, for a bit, I think. What? Well, you must... You've not bought it as a... You know, obviously need to build it up. Or is it already done? Yes or no, I got I got a text from a guy who I, I supply titanium for, who builds motors for a guy in America. And he's like, this, this any good to you? I thought you might be a bit of you. And I'm like, it's a Carmichael 250 Suzuki. And I'm like, yeah, it's one of those replica things. You know, See the pictures? I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. It's a real thing. Oh, really? Proper factory one. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I rung Ollie Stone. I'm like, kid, how far are you from your Belinda? He's like, oh, not bad. Not far. I said, can you get down and pick this bike up for me? Yeah, it's not far at all. I think I went to your Belinda hospital before. Yeah, I've been, been, yeah, yeah I say another name. Then he's like, uh, well, get him to bring it to Pro Circuit. I'm like, no, no, you don't need to bring in that thing to Pro Circuit. <laughs> Out the back of there, they go like, they'll be like seagulls around the thing. Yeah. So Ollie went and picked it up. It's in his garage now. And that's coming over at some point. That's being took apart this weekend and being shipped. So I'll have it and then we'll, it hasn't got the right numbers on or nothing, but it's the real thing. And so I sent a few texts. I took, I took the picture, sent a few texts to a few boys I know. And they were all like, oh yeah, she's real. Oh, we'll have to come and try wouldn't and get that on video. Wouldn't have the people in America been interested in that or what? Or did yeah. he not want to sell it to someone out there because he shouldn't have it? There's a bit of that involved as well, but... I'm guessing, like, you get quite some nice offers across the table. Like It's weird because we buy and sell some nice stuff. We do get offered a lot of nice stuff, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like you're the guy to deal with it, so you're the guy to get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, I'm you guessing you, you can price it, you can, you'll can you know what it is. And it's actually hard to price, you just don't know what you're going to... Some of the stuff, some of the prices being thrown around now are just crazy. Well, you've just got crazy money for that. That ain't crazy money kid compared to some of the deals I brokered in the last month. Really? Mm. Oh, we've got the factory one, obviously, that we, we've we showed a little bit on the blog. You had the factory Everts one. Yeah. Yeah, that's gone. That's, that's gone, gone now. Yeah. So she's all fully, fully built, ready to go? No. 
but I've sold it. Oh, it's still there. It's still, still sat where it still is. looks exactly the same as it did when I've been paid for it. But no, I broke a deal for one bike, 180 grand last month. No what? way. One of yours? No. Oh, Can we say what the bike is? Bike? No. Can't say what it is? No. A motocross bike? Yeah. Fucking hell. I know, it's crazy. What rider? I can't tell you. No, you don't have to say the year. I can't tell Or you. they would know, I suppose, if you told you the rider. Can you tell us when we turn all this shit off? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what brand? I can't tell you anything. <laughs> The guys who buy these don't want anybody to know. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, isn't it? Like, Which country? Are you telling you? You said no, mate. I'll tell you in a bit. I'll tell them I will on the next podcast. <laughs> um, there's a lot of favourite. know what time you're home for tea. <laughs> I reckon you'll be home probably. What's the time? Traffic weren't too good getting here. No. Um, what part have you made that you're the most proud of? Parts you make now. Someone's asked that. I think that real tea handles. Tea handles are cool. Yeah, cool. Tea cool. handles are really cool. Apart from bike, I think that that brake carry on your bike's pretty neat. But tea handles are cool because just the reaction you get from like proper proper doers, proper all the factory mechanics are busting for them. The tea handles. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah because it's too it's them. it's a, it's too good for the job it you does. You don't need them, but you don't need anything, do you? You no. don't need a Ferrari either, do you? But you still no. buy yeah, one. You know true. what I mean? And it's like those guys are just going crazy for them, and you can't get your head around. You're like. That's cool, but it's like a little bit... Took me by surprise a little bit. What, how much people were sort... How yeah. much they're sort Well, mechanics, after. in fairness, you don't get a lot, do you? The rider gets the painted out. Yeah, and then, so the you have your own nice thing. It's exactly, nice. Exactly, yeah. No, they... You know, like, I went to Matley, and, you know, the carry guys are chasing me from... And then 10 foot later, they've got Roger Shenton at HRC, wants four sets for his guys, and... Yeah, it's that nice got, thing for... Like, Ben Watson bought three sets for his mechanics. Fucking hell. As a gift. As a too gift. much money. Oh. Maybe yeah, but that's it's like you say. Maybe you should take a leaf out of his paint book and a little bit of championship bonus. Yeah, you should. This is Ben. I could do with a set in here, Tom. You know. I thought Wob was going to bring a set out today. I'm going to have a deal with Wob on Mate, a set. I literally just came from the welders. Now that's where I went first. They just welding the new ones up. But it's like 250 sets of T bars. You never send so much stuff. It's a van full. Oh, you was dropping them off. That's on where the I way. came on the way here. Yeah. Ah, okay. This um, this pipe on Tommy's bike here, this JSV one, that's a, a that's pretty nice. special. Yeah, nice. no, he does a good job. I've been following him now, on, and yeah, yeah, yeah I followed him as well. Oh, some tricks though. And also, what he does is he's got all the like these nineties bikes, and also, no disrespect to FMF Post Circuit Bills, whatever. You needed a European pipe for European track. It just works better. I don't know. Ask me why. It just and European pipe don't work that good over there. But if you yeah, have odd, it, isn't it? And also, you know, Yen's dad was Doma, Dominic from Doma. Yen's granddad's Piero Slagers, who owns Spess and Selecton. So he's got all those different specs. Yeah, to, to go off. To go off. So you'll just pick the best one. I mean, like, you only got to see Brownie on that on the weekend and see how good the pipe works. Was the, um, did Brownie, Brownie didn't hole shot, did he? No, he struggled to get him out of the gate, in fairness. Um, he was struggling because he'd been practicing on a 450 and a 450 just dump the clutch and go, don't you? Yeah. And so, and he couldn't really hear the bike. He wasn't making excuses. Um, True, it's funny he's not Brown. practiced on that. When was the first time he rode it? Friday. Up and down outside the van and then the first race. Oh, so, yeah. No, no, so a lot when, of the other English riders have obviously been practicing on that. That's the benefit of what they do. You know, Brownie comes over, any Americans, they come over and they see the bike on Friday, start it up, ride it up and down the road until they get yelled at. Never go. And then they go out and practice and they're timing it. Yeah. You've got three laps to get a gate position he's never ridden the bike before in his life That's I'm gutted that the, the last round of the British was on the same weekend because yeah. I've never been but it's a good race yeah it's a good I'm race. everyone sings it's praises it's a lot seeing, of stress um, for us seeing the bikes 
just general people that I follow on Instagram. A lot of oh, them have went and just seeing the bikes coming you out. You walk around, there's some lovely stuff. Just people, the, the oh. stuff that the people themselves have built the bike. So you can see so much. Oh, um, my God, yeah. and you see So much time, effort, and like how proud they are of the, the bikes speed, that push them around the pitch. The speed nice. they're all going. I mean, not just my guys. The speed they're all going is like, like when Sean Hamlin came over and Keith Johnson, I'm like, don't underestimate these kids you never heard of. No, even general British kids. Yeah, like Ryan Vos on it. Just yeah, I was so surprised fast. with Vosey. Fuck me, like, oh but God, I think he's been go. putting effort in he for this so race. But quick and so did like Brian McKenzie and yeah, Brian come out swinging. Yeah, and you got Nev, Nev, oh, Nev's Nev, and he loves it, doesn't he? And yeah, he Nev, like, but then fast. Nev's always fast, and he's so good on the two strokes because he rides them. He rides a lot. He just loves it. Yeah, see, Brownie but, hasn't ridden a two stroke. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say since 2019. So that's to race with Nev. Um. I'm not sure how old Nev is now, but what's Brownie? 48, 49. Nev's not 49. Not fucking Peter Pan, isn't he? Yes, <laughs> absolutely nuts. Before we come on here, we were talking a little bit about the nation, uh, the vet nations. And the the way Brownie rides a bike, every picture you see, you just go, wow, he looks tricky. He looks like it? a 20-year-old on the bike. Yeah. Then he takes his helmet off. Yeah. And the thing is with Brownie, like he will say, he actually don't mind not getting the gate. He said, first corner, first straight, he said, I'm fucking spitting feathers, I'm angry, screaming, because he's not got the gate, he's screwed it up in his head. He said, but by the second turn, he's like, come on then, let's have it. Yeah, like and he enjoys like, the race coming through. He enjoys that, yeah. I can see that, that, at that level, obviously, because he, Brownie just wants to win at any any point, and he's got that in him, but yeah. to do it at that race, I don't know where, he was disappearing into the woods, and every time he came out of the woods, he'd pass somebody else, or I don't know what he was doing back there. Cutting the course or something because he was taking time out of people. Really? Yeah, I don't know what he was. He, I've I asked, seen I asked him. I've not seen the, the lap. I've not really. I asked him and he said, down the hills. I don't know why they were going so slow down the hills. Really? That was he said. I don't know. I know. He's Brian, so aggressive on a bike. I know so Brian McKenzie in the first race came up after. He gave it, oh, he fucking parked me. And he said, <laughs> oh, really? I had nowhere to go. <laughs> and I said to Brown, he said, no, you parked McKenzie? He said, yeah, he hadn't pissed me off, so I didn't drop him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, if he wanted to, he'd have he dropped would. him on the floor. But he hadn't pissed him off, so he's like oh, Mike Brown. He's the the first ever jersey of a motocross rider I got. Boost yeah. Mobile, yeah, oh, legend, yeah. straight in the frame. How bed. did you get that, Jamie Dobb? Really? Yeah, he, he gave it me as a gift. I put it in my bedroom. I was only young. Yeah, and Brownie. then years later, I worked with him at KTM in America. He's a good egg brownie. Good when lad. he was doing what enduro? Um, I don't know what he was doing out there. He was doing a bit of enduro, but he used to come into KTM a bit more over there. I can't remember what he would have been doing at that time. No. I, he's such a quietly spoken, like softly. You wouldn't the anger issues that kid's got. He's men. It makes me <laughs> scream. He's so funny. He's so bitter about certain stuff. He's so funny. Yeah, I I like I like racing him. And I, he one year I, two thousand seven, I was on factory KTM, and me and Brownie come into the last round of the British Championship, and I think I had a. I can't remember if I was leading or he was leading. I was leading up to the second to last round. And I had a big crash. Not myself. Oh no! Knocked myself out the week before. Then went to Whitby, and then my had yeah, three in a week. Yeah, knocked myself out three times in a week. Mm-hmm. It's not um not recommended. But then my um uh, what smashed off the disc brake or the sprocket sprocket? Um, I think a DNF one race. Something. I think, I'm pretty sure the bolts come out of the disc brake and it locked the whole wheel, rear wheel. Yeah. Anyway, I crashed one race, and that happened in another. I think I had a thirty point lead and come out um so many points down, and then we had. One other race and then the final round, and I think Brownie beat me by one point for the oh, British Championship. <laughs> and the year before that, Carl Nunn beat me by one point. Oh fuck! But the thing is, with Brownie, he grew up in the nineties when those guys like invented block passing. Really, you know, those guys 
you know, I think he grew up with Matasevich, Bradshaw, all those. And boys were just nailing each other on every opportunity. Yeah, he was. Fu- he's just aggressive rider, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Now, if you put a, a strong pass in, everyone fucking kicks oh, off. Oh, I know. Back no. in the day, it was expected, wasn't it? That's yeah, you were getting did. slammed. I mean, you couldn't punch anybody without getting in trouble, but you could. You could put a proper stern. Yeah, there was oh, proper. Yeah. Then, when you watched the racing on the two strokes, even more so, just because it's that era, they shoot down the insides and they seem to get a lot closer. Yeah, I think so. The tracks are different. You know, like back when we were racing 125s, that you know, like you'd have special gearboxes where the transition from second to third wasn't very much because they'd, they'd shift third on the face of a jump. Yeah, you had to though, didn't you? Well, you'd rail the corner in second, hit third as the front wheel's going up. You just yeah, like, nuts. You wouldn't want to do that now. No, you've got some confidence to do that and <laughs> yeah, every fine. lap. But like you said, thing. I think Not once, is it? The racing, you can get closer because tracks were completely different. Yeah, that's what the whole two-stroke, four-stroke thing. I mean, I know where I sit on the, you know... And it's where it's going to go with electric coming going forward, you know. Yeah. You do think that's going to go that yeah. way? It's got to. Got to, yeah. Not, I, mean, I think all it's going soon. to take is one manufacturer, and it might not even be a, a brand that you know. It's like with cars, you know. Nobody heard of Tesla's five years ago. No. And it could be a brand, and they, they've only got to go and do a Supercross, and then the bikes are going to be so That other good. company almost did. It just seemed Alter. to be so close. Yeah, they were close, and then Harley-Davidson bought them and, and used the technology. And stopped the motocross? Yeah. Yeah, see, that was odd, because that was a good bike, wasn't it? It was a good bike. You know, I don't know whether the Triumph thing might go down that road. I mean, I haven't heard, but it wouldn't be wouldn't oh, surprise. Why would you spend, it, no. You'd have to why give Carmichael a ring. Why would you spend all that money developing a, a petrol engine that's kind of defunct? Yeah. Well, what's defunct? You, means coming away. Yeah, away it from like that. it's done its time. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying hey, that could be absolute. I haven't heard it. No, anything. it's not. The, I think You're either going to sound like the, the most... Clever man in a few years, if it is. Or. Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be, and people are going to hate it because the noise and everything, but I think that the four strokes have done so much damage with noise and the cost of racing and also the injuries. And I don't know, I'm just not a big fan. No, I don't know. I think the tracks have changed so much. I think we can do it on another. I was thinking of doing that before, but the, just the way the tracks are now, even to when I started racing, that's not an issue with the four strokes, but the... It's so, they're so different now. Yeah, a four-stroke. The way things, the track develops. These are the four-stroke. A four-stroke's just really efficient. When's efficient been fun? You know what I mean? Well, no, it's, it's like not. That's a two-stroke. It's making a load of noise, going sidewards, smells nice. And yeah, going nowhere. And also the, the noise doesn't travel. Like the problem with a four-stroke is like the noise is like, it's like a mini sonic boom and it travels mm. like miles. Whereas two-stroke sounds noisy when you're next to it, but you get a mile away, you can't hear it. That's true. Um, there's a question for you about the best nightlife slash motocross party you've been to? Vegas, of course. Yeah, it's got to be some Vegas supercross. Yeah, I mean, you go out the last round, at the last round, and you don't get into into the casino till midnight. And yeah. of course, you've had a few drinks getting ready and whatever, and it's like, it's a long night, that is. Because you've been at work since like seven in the morning. You've oh, as a, when you was doing the mechanic in through yeah. the day, and then you, then you your get day's a finished. quick shower out drinking like a mad thing because everybody's <laughs> been out all the industry guys have already been there so you're trying to catch up so you drink like an idiot because everybody keeps buying your drink <laughs> so there were some big nights some big nights in there we've yeah. had a couple of them in Vegas after party. yeah some very good Vegas yeah I used to hang out with Emig a lot in Vegas he was a lot of fun there Emig was um, loved a bit of roulette didn't he I loved, oh, loved yeah. chucking it at the tables I had one night with Emig and I ended up wearing his watch as well as mine because I think he thought I was less messed up than he was and I was in a right pickle <laughs> <laughs> and we were sitting at a, we were sitting in the hard rock, and it was like it's like Mitch and me, Emig giving me money 
to gamble. I don't know what I'm doing. There's Wyndham. Wyndham and Mitch. Chaos. Chaos. I've seen them. And they spend a lot. 1,500 bucks a hand mind. Yeah. And even Mitch is starting to back out of it. And Wyndham's like, just sell another pipe. And and Emmy's giving me money. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. And I was losing thousands. And then I remember Kevin said to me, look at the door. And I'm like, what do you mean look at the door? And I'm like, this squinting. (laughs) And everything's just dark. And somebody's walked in and it's daylight. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's, it's a massive night and I'm like I'm out I'm going to bed man I actually walked home like a mile up the strip just proper walk of shame yeah if, you, if you're ever in um, Vegas for Supercross head to the Hard Rock Hotel because that's yeah. where it's all at it afterwards. used to be it's gone now has it? it it's not there anymore yeah they're bulldozed I think what they've tied the whole hotel down I think so I mean you, you may want to google it but I think the last no time. way fucking yeah. and the thing is now it's all without sounding like Better against your sponsors. It's all the monster energy party, and everybody's got to be seen. So I don't know. It don't feel like that. Yeah, it wouldn't the be circle, the same as when you done the circle it. bar at the Hard Rock was. No, just, the circle bar was in full swing when we were. Yeah, but it's changed again. I think. Yeah, yeah. The circle bar was. That was the place when on a Sunday night. So funny, and exactly. you know when I was there with Denny and all that. It was like, you haven't done a night out until you've done a night in Vegas with Denny. It's proper like hangover stuff. Like you remember all limo, strip club. Oh God, we were there. <laughs> and it's like Dre's, yeah. which is this after hours club. Yeah, and, Dre's. So oh there. my God. And it's like, it's proper. Like, the hangover is a lot closer to reality than. Yeah, I can imagine the Vegas after party in the 90s was a lot better than the. Oh, uh, now. The, can you imagine just it going back now? It seems to be now. A lot of everybody, they just want to be seen. Seen, they, yeah. It's just more Put about... pictures out. Exactly. Before then, it was nothing. Well, you can't do anything now because you'd get photoed in a club yeah, doing something. Exactly. Yeah. Back we, then, before social media. Oh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, they were just partying because no they wanted to party. Yeah. No, exactly. And like, once you're in... You know, like when I started work with Denny, I knew all those guys. But once you went in with Denny, you were like... You were with, with Denny. And then all of a sudden, like, I knew Jeremy, but... Then you're with Jeremy, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're in this little inner circle and you end up going to these clubs after. Dallas was always a big one. Fuck, they all came to Dallas. I'm like, what's the big deal about Dallas? Oof, big night out in Dallas. <laughs> really? Oh, it's a big night out, yeah. We Fun. had a big night out with, um, who did we have? We, we was the same thing. We sort of like went on a night out, not really expecting anything after San Diego Supercross and Tommy's management company, WMGL. Is it WMGL? Yeah. At the it's time. WMG. Astafan. Yeah. yeah. Next minute we're, on some table with Chad Reed, then we're off somewhere else with some skateboarder and then we get dragged back to some party and fucking Valentino Rossi's in there and we're like, fucking oh, hell. No, yeah. like, Biggest night I've ever had was San Diego, maybe 2000, 2001, something like that. So we're there, I'm, like, I'm with Paul, we got the truck outside and I know all the Suzuki guys because I was working there like two years before and they're like, oh, we'll go out after. Okay, so there's Ali who's Kevin's mechanic, there's Joey who was Albie's mechanic and Leroy who was Pastranas, I think, at the time. So we went to the hotel bar, drinking till like one in the morning. Then we're like, let's go to the strip club. All right. So we all go to the strip club, and it's like half two, they kicked us out. Well, then Joey has a brainwave. Let's go to Tijuana. Mint. To Mexico. Mexico. So we go drive down to the border, left the car, walked across, and there's all like beat up old cars. They take us in. We were in just going, we got escorted out of Mexico by the police. <laughs> They took us to the border. And said, like, home time now, took boys. All, took all the money off us. So, no way. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think Big you can go, Can you just still do that and just go out? Into, I don't know. I used to hear them stories. I've never been to Tijuana, but when I was in America, you used to hear, like, our oh, people would go to Tijuana. 
I don't think you'd want to get on the border too much nowadays. No, I'm sure it's different now, but everything's different now. But that was a biggie, like, say, we got in trouble down there and they literally, police, took all our money off us. Empty your pockets, boys, it's time to go. Drove us to the border and watched us walk across the border. (sighs) That is good. I can imagine. That was chaos. You mentioned in that last statement there, Pastrana. Did you have much to do in the Pastrana industry era? I had a lot to do with Smith. Yeah, Yeah, he was Smith. So I used to go to his house when I had... He used to travel up with Mark Eastwood, he came along. So we went to his house a few times and I used to have to go and sort all his goggles out. And Done a backflip or not? Uh, he wanted me to. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I quite value my spine, the shape it is. I don't want to be... Yeah, because that... What year would that have been? 93? Yeah, 03. Yeah, 03. Travis was good, egg. We had him on board and he's easy. He was like the main Smith guy, wasn't he? He the was time? the main guy at the time, yeah. And he was just... he was He's exactly as he is on TV. There's no mm. pretense about him. That's what he is. He's, he's Wild. A, he puts his helmet on. He goes a bit mental. There's something about the helmet strap. I don't know what it does. He came to me with a Daytona. He says to me, you got a bottle of water on you? I'm like, oh, get one. And he's like, okay, can you, where are you going to be stood? And I'm like, where, where do you want me to stand? And he's like, could you stand at the end of the mechanics area? Yeah. He says, I ain't feeling too good and I think I might pass out. <laughs> and I, if you've seen the one where he was like, malu- he was like manual through the whoops and it was like, he was going in that consciousness doing that. Yeah, is that not normal? And he pulled man? over and I had to hold the bike, he was going. At a supercross, that's Daytona supercross, yeah. yeah that's Mental, I mean, he, funny, but he is as mental as you think. And then when he came over for um, Western Beach Race, the reason he came to Western Beach Race, he had a trial for Subaru Pro Drive rally car people. I was so, there the day before with him. Yeah, so yeah. I went. To, Jamie Dobb took me, and he said, "Do you want to come in the car?" And I had a broken collarbone. I was fucking gutted. I couldn't get in it with him. Yeah, I the did. Subaru. Yeah, he had. They had. They had some mini cars and the Subarus in there was all rallying around and for some reason I'd met Dobby had got an invite there and then took me there with him and I was fuck, honestly I think I've seen some pictures yeah, yeah I like got gravel in, place yeah. I got it's in Wales Sweet Lamb I got in the car was you there then as yeah, well yeah I got in and I got in the car first off they do Ari Vattenon I want to say his name was some old boy and like multiple world champion he just didn't look nothing and they strapped me in the car and it's in a white no stickers on it Subaru rally car thing. And they'd send him around to do a lap time. And that was like the, the, the datum point, the, the standard time. And you had to be within a percentage of that. And they'd consider you for further things. So I said, do you want to go in with him? I'm like, yeah, I'll get in. I can give a fuck. I'll have a go. So I'm sitting in there. And the thing that surprised me is your feet hurt. The stones hitting the bottom of the car hurt your feet. In the rack, because it's so that, thin. Like- they put the helmet on and all that stuff. And he's like, to look out the window, it's all chaos. It's all going off. I'm screaming like a bitch. <laughs> And you look at this, he looks like my granddad going to the shops. He's just like, properly looks like in slow motion, this boy. And he's like, to him, it's just a drive in the park, isn't mm. it? you know what I mean? But it's all going off. I've gone mental. So then he gets out. I'm still in the car. Travis gets in. Then the mechanics come around, open the door. He's sat by where the, like the, the wing mirrors are. He's got his feet on my chest, pulling the straps tight. And I'm like, I'm all right, I'm strapped in. He's like, no, no, this ain't a fairground. I'm like, this could go proper wrong. <laughs> I'm like, fucking kidding me. And then Travis gets in, puts the helmet on. And starts talking to me, and I'm like, Ooh. I hadn't realised my mic's all connected up. This bloke's been hearing me scream now for about five minutes. I'm just, <laughs> and I hasn't flinched because obviously that's normal. And then me and Travis get in the car, and he goes out, and he is like screaming. And I, I, I feel for my life, it was we nearly went wrong, but yeah, something you'd done, isn't it? There was the one before Western, that was, yeah, that's when he shit himself riding around. Yeah, well, he, and then he, he did the quad race, didn't he? And then he smashed himself up on the yeah, he had a so he had some 
curry eating competition the night before and they were eating the hottest curry and he literally shit himself riding around I put his one pants. cowboy Kenny Bartram there yeah. Yeah. I, put, Bartram, I, put, yeah. I put his pants in the bin and some kid got him out <laughs> they're in the bin for a reason yeah. I've got his jersey from that race when yeah. he crashed but yeah it, it, I, I have got some X Games pants as well but they're not, they don't match but, yeah. I got his jersey from when the number was on the side uh, Daytona when he did the backflip got in trouble oh yeah because you weren't allowed well uh, yeah obviously you weren't allowed to do it really. what year was that then like three or four or something the yellow and black and red yeah he come up short didn't he yeah yeah he's uh, I remember about. seeing it what um, fruitcake so you've got other, uh, when I went to yours, we see quite a lot of um, pastrana stuff. What's the best memorabilia you've got? You yeah, that's a question in here. What's the best thing you've got, or the most coolest thing in there? Fuck. Like if someone was to come and steal it, what would you say you did? The helmet Danny gave me in Vegas, which was signed by all the guys I dealt with. Ah, that's that was cool. kind of new. That's kind of cool. Well, he went lot. around and got it all signed for you. Yeah, and there's a mis- I got a set of Scott sheet gears. My pal died, so that's kind of. Sentimental now. Yeah. It's going to say there's got to be a few things in there quite sentimental. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got Ryan Villapoto stuff from the Nations where he crashed. It's Which one was that? Mali, I think. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Have you got pretty much something off every rider you've ever worked with? I like to try. Yeah, I know mean, it sounds like you're scabbing, but like yourself, you know, you ask at the start of the year, and as long as you're not on every week for something. Yeah, but it's cool, isn't it? Now you can walk through there like a museum of your whole career, exactly. of what you've it's done. like you said, you saw them nation shirts. It's hard to get all three guys. Yeah, really. Yeah, that is nice. But you go into the into the weekend saying, look, I want a jersey before the end of the day, and everybody's like, yeah, no problem. Then at the end of the day, it's, it well, is Well, we was, there was three Smith riders at the time as well. Yeah, well, I'd done well because I only had three guys. That year? In the UK. I only had three Smith guys, and all three got picked for Nations uh, two years on the trot. So I thought, I've done the right job there. Yeah, that's nice. You know, so you think... Yeah, because we don't get many... That's the year that you sprayed them up, some some proper goggles yeah, as we well. Yeah, the goggles all frames. Like Tom Fuller sprayed them frames. He did a good job. That is nice. But that was a ball egg. That was like, we had to do that in like June. Because we don't get... I was going to say then, we don't get many shirts for Des Nations, I think five. Yeah. You just get one of... It, one of um, you go out on track five times, so you get five jersey. Yeah, no, it was cool to have those, and you know, especially race worn stuff. But one yeah. day, one day, I'll be gone. The kids are gonna have to fucking sell skip, them, skip it all or something. Yeah, no, it's always be worth something. <laughs> what you do, well, you you've got the space to have it, or even now, I've got a lot of stuff from just myself. And sometimes I do think oh, I wish I had one of everyone's designations, like that. The frame you have in the workshop with three jerseys that does look smart. Yeah, it's just. What do you do with it all? You have yeah, that's gear I mean. bags full of stuff, and then eventually you think, "Well, that's what I'm going to do in this room. You're going to put some jerseys up." Yeah. But I have only tried to do stuff which is relevant to my career. Yeah, otherwise you'd be fucking. I'd never move. Yeah, you could have so much. It's just even for me, you put it in a box, and then after three years, you think, well, "What am I going to do with all that shit in there?" So yeah, I, I think what bothers me, I see a lot of trade in that stuff now. People buying it, and I'm like, "Why just giving it you as a yeah?" That winds me up as a souvenir, and then some kid turns around and sells it for three hundred. Like Pokemon like, cards now. Yeah, I, I don't think that's cool. I mean, no, the I, only time it's cool is when it's auctioned for a cause. 100%. 100% that's cool. But I just don't like, there's a lot of Facebook things and people onto me all the time. Will you sell this? We sell that. No, it's a gift. Yeah. Not, no, I completely agree. So with that, that. Um, that. Not, I don't mind a trade though. If someone, if there's a jersey yeah. you want, you trade a jersey. Yeah, yeah. But you, you know what I mean? If you get somebody gives you something and then you just turn around and sell it. Yeah, no good. That ain't cool. No. And it's like people. I used to get it with goggles, you know, you'd give them goggles and they'd moan because the rider would sign the lens, they couldn't use them. You know, that's not what it's for, man. Mm. 
I mean, it's I'm not sure. mine anymore. It's yours now, but yeah. it does stop you wanting to. Oh, I see my stuff for sale, and you just, I, someone's like, "Can you send sign this?" And I'm like, "Where would you get that from?" And they're like, oh, "I bought it for two hundred quid." And I think, "Fucking like you could have sold play, it." Yeah, quid, fair yeah. play for the person that's actually spent the money on it, but because he obviously wants a jersey. But there's another guy there that sold it for two hundred quid. Who's just stood there with his hand out and you've given it out of the goodness yeah. you are as a gift as a, you know it'll mean something to somebody and all they see is pound signs I think that's a bit bit naughty bit ugly really bit cheeky it's just what happens in it now anyway you got any jerseys I can have <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> nowadays tight on product everything's getting worse isn't it? everything's expensive which mm-hmm. surprising because it's not as expensive to make now with digital printing. no you'd think with, they'd just smash them out they with, can if they want but. with digital printing and all that is it, I think it's cheaper than it ever was mm. I think they're all made differently though aren't they like if you if you get a sublimated jersey no, made it's not made by Alpine Stars is it yeah they ours actually are but I mean I I would imagine they send it somewhere else there's some mm. factory in France that's making all that stuff aren't you? yeah yeah um, what about the Farley then the race you've just gone obviously you've people love that at the minute so Good weekend. It's just, emotion, it's just emotional, trying to get ready. Everything else is on hold. All the business after Farley, after Farley, after Farley, and then the week after Farley is fucking chaos because the phone's ringing off the hook because you've told you put people off. Yeah, and trying to get ready and people supply parts and you're chasing them, chasing them, and you know, like we couldn't start the bikes up till the Monday before because we were waiting on bits. Because then suppliers are like, "Well, you've had your bits now." You're like, well, "Yeah, but we need to work on it. We have got to pack up Wednesday," and it's just chaos. And then it's great, but it's also you know, like Brownie, he's going fast and he's destroying the bike. Like last year, we couldn't keep reeds in the bike. Two races, only six lap races. And he's done a set of reeds. There are only six laps. Six laps. And he's done two races. And the th- we start up to go to the third race and it's like blubbering. We're like, what's wrong with this? Well, so they're like 12 minute races. Yeah. He's I done suppose because they're older boys and they don't, it's not their, they're not training. I suppose that's realistic. At least you sprint, get good racing. I think it's better though. Sprint. Otherwise, if you had a forty-minute yeah. races, just be sitting down cruising. But they around, do a fair few races in a weekend, don't they? Yeah. And like Brownie, like the front disc was dished. You know, like you put the disc flat on the table, and the outside edge is about ten mil up, and it's like a bowl. He's heated oh, right. up that much, and that bike there is on its third front brake. Fucking hell! On the weekend, because he's got the brakes that hot, he comes in the wheels binding, because the pistons have done the seals that hot, they won't go back into the caliper. They've melted the seals. And like rear brake pads, your average AMCA kid will change a set of rear brake pads in the off-season. Three races, he's done a set of pads. There's all black dust all over the hub. You're like, I just don't think he's shutting off. I think well, he's just you, dragging I guess the you have to take fucking loads of spares of you. Yeah, it's chaos. It is hard and everybody's looking at you. And when you're in a fishbowl and you're winning and he pushes it off the track, you look all right, twat. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's like, oh, they're only old bikes. I know, but we have to look you know it's yeah. event, eventually they is going to be a big puff of smoke and it's going to be a problem you know like we had it with the diker two years ago he was leading and just pulled off we hadn't run the bike in enough and ken bless him breaks stuff that's just what ken does yeah ken so and he's, he's such a nice guy and he's such a nice guy but when he breaks something he ain't got the ump or anything it's just what he does no he don't care it's a matter of time before he breaks it it's just yeah. when but brownie's trying to break it and we're trying to keep it together but, but then at Farley, you've done the whole American team's bikes. Yeah. That's always what you've done at Farley. Try to, yeah. I mean, obviously we had bail and whatever, but I try to only build bikes for doers because who cares who's out there in 32nd place? Yeah. Oh, that sounds bad, but it's not doing me as a business any good. Yeah, you want the best people you, on your bikes. How many years have you done that for a Team America at Nations? Uh, I think maybe since 2011 or something. Oh, fuck. Fair so like, so nine, like last nine, 10 years. Nine or 10 years, yeah. Are you going to do it next year, someone asked? I keep saying never again. 
What, you said that last year as well? I say it every year. Ah, so you do it next year then? See you there next year. You know the reason why I do it? It's because my kids love it. Oh, do they? Oh, my God. They are not interested in dirt bikes whatsoever. Don't care about nothing but Farley to them. And like is it my, a good atmosphere then, the race and everything? It's really good. Like my wife, Claire, she loves it. She does a hospitality show. She's flat out. Um, but the kids, they get to ride around in the mule. They get to hang out with their friends. You and take I'm, the pro circuit mule? Yeah. And I'm always giving it, why do you even want to go there? And Claire said in fairness to her, you know what it is, chick? They're proud of the dad. Yeah, and, that's and I had a bit of a moment. I'm like, oh, I can't even thought of that. Yeah, because everyone's rallying around you, and they're like, "That's my dad." Exactly. Uh, and she even commented on my um, Instagram before, and she put, uh, "How old's your daughter?" Uh, Tilly's thirteen. Beth's ten. Yeah, I, I can't remember which one it was, but I just see a comment and it just said, "That's my dad." Yeah, <laughs> no, it's weird because they <laughs> they see me signing autographs and having pictures took with people and that, and it's yeah, it's quite. I nice guess it's quite a nice family thing to do it's as well. Mega. Yeah, it's a really good deal, and it's busy and it's stressful. But they get to stay up late. They get to go to the slushy stand whenever they want. And then they're in the beer tent at night. Yeah, it's nice. It's a really, really good. And it's a nice atmosphere to And they love it to see. They know the guys. They'll they'll be sitting in the back of the van with Brownie, hanging out. Then they'll walk out and he's getting swamped for autographs. And they're like, he's me pal. You know (laughs) what I mean? And it is cool. It is. No, that is nice. I will 100% do the race. I can't wait to... Um, you should. It's a good event. It's a good event. It's, it's stressful. And I, I wonder sometimes, oh, maybe I should just go down and have a trade stand with a bike on stand and a video running and a few and some trinkets in a box and stand with a beer in my hand and enjoy it, yeah. you know? But, oh, yeah, that is true. You're always under the stress of the race. You can't... People it's hard want, to enjoy. And people want to ask you about their forks or their front number plate or whatever they want to talk about. And you're busy, obviously. And I'm... My priority is making sure that bike doesn't make me look like an absolute idiot. Yeah. Because he's, he's pushing on and he is destroying the thing. Who done the... What mechanics come in and work for the other riders? Yeah, well, Tony, who's my main guy. Yeah, Tony, he, Tony's he builds, the one who's done all our videos. Yeah, this. yeah, and he builds the bike and he works. He looks after Brownie. We get Adam Wells, who's a good little mechanic. Yeah, he looks after, Adam. He looks after one of the guys, Stu Summers. Oh, okay. He looks after another one. Uh, they're they're great. Yeah, they both. Really what you should do is get Stan to do it, but he's a bit too famous now. He's been on this here yeah, podcast. That's the trouble. And then we get like Jack Bannister, who works for me. He's a good kid, and uh, he works for. Benny. He messaged asking for a pay rise. Did he? <laughs> he <laughs> said, "Ask him when I get a pay rise." <laughs> get that. What is the etiquette at Farley in terms of like um, the t- t- the Americans pay for you to take the bikes or bring the bikes, or is it I out of your pocket? Beyond, no, I don't. I don't pay them. I just provide the bikes, but I don't get paid anything. It costs me thousands to do. And the riders get free flights. As far as I know, I don't know if they get paid. It's none of my business. Okay, so so you provide the bikes, you build them, you make them, and then it's up to you whether you sell them or do whatever you do with yeah. them after. Yeah, we don't get anything from the event whatsoever. But Most of the bikes are sold. Or, or pre-sold. But you like, for example, like Rob Andrews is there, and he's paid 300 quid for like a 10-foot square and two passes, and we've got 17-metre square. And like twenty five passes, and all your bikes, and all, and like we got the mule we can drive around, and so we do. They look after you at the race. Yeah, in fairness, as much as I want to bad mouth them and say I want paying, but we do all right. Yeah, I can say it's a it's a great advertising opportunity for you. It is, and it isn't. I don't. We're not advertising bike work because we got four years. Well, I don't fucking advertising that for you know what I mean. We can't keep up, but it is good for the parts, and it's good for. People's Brand awareness and the name, everything. That's what it's all about. And people go, you see, there's going racing or there's going just showing up. Is a, here's another question then. Do you think that the um, vlogs that we've done with Tommy and building this bike is, is uh, oh, for want of a better word, because 
put you on the map's not right because you're already on the map, but do you think it's helped? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, we get a lot of people start off an email. I've seen the Tommy self. They do. Nice. And it's great for us. And it's like parts that we didn't have six months ago, we've now got. Yeah, because it gives you a little boost, like we can get them parts for this bike and let's make a few of them. Very much. Yeah, no, we've done well out of it. It's and definitely been a big thing for you, isn't it? It's the most huge. common question. When's the bike ready? When's this? The one, um, the one video I put up of a... Two clips. Riding it. Two clips. It's Corner got, and a jump, 1.5 million views. No, it's like 1.7 million is views it? now. Is it? Is it? That's retarded, isn't it? That's yeah, crazy. the other... There's no other video. I mean, I've got a couple of others that have gone quite high, but one point... Yeah, 1.7, I'm pretty sure. Is it? Fucking nuts, eh? It's crazy. It's, it's cool. Um, and that keeps just getting shared. It keeps going up, up. It's only been on there three weeks. Yeah. 1.7 million. No, oh, in like Indonesia and that. It's just been shared everywhere. Yeah, you do get a lot. I mean, it's like I've noticed that, you know, like stuff that we put on, used to get like a thousand likes. I was pumped now with three, four, five thousand. Yeah, it's, so I suppose. It's, um, but people, I could tell when you put some something on because I get like a load of follows. I'm like, <laughs> what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> but it's the, when we was doing that bike, you said this is the bike people love. I mean, they like any bike, but that's the sort of the best of that era. Well, it's two-stroke, and then there's Japanese two-stroke, because they stopped making them like 08, most of the 07s for Hondas. That was a question we had. Do you only do Japanese bikes? I don't, yeah, I, I had enough of KTMs in 88 with my Really? Seven, <laughs> yeah, I don't, they're good, they're good. They're so much better now than they ever were. Yeah. But I'm the 90s, aren't I? And that's what I do, you know what I mean? Like the modern stuff, fuck yeah, they're mint. Of course, they're, you know, they're really yeah, good. Yeah, great bike. They're great bike. You know, and we deal with a lot of the top teams using them, and they are a good tool, really are. But yeah, but in that era, in the eighties and nineties, they weren't. KTM wasn't was terrible. They weren't good. No. Well, is that name, what name I don't know if I want to use that word, but they weren't. That, they weren't <laughs> special. Is that what Merv rode when you was working for him? Yeah, I was eighty-seven. We were on factory KTM. The, oh, the color was different. Then. Wasn't it like this pale orange sort of thing? Or was that just? It'd been a few colors. So it was years. dark red and white with bits of blue, blue hubs and stuff. And I remember we were at the R&D department and I see a blue one. I'm like, I've got a Mako in here and it's not. It's actually a blue kit. They were messing around with colours. Before they went orange, they didn't go orange. They, they did white with a purple seat for a while, didn't they? They did like a mint green yeah. seat one time. They were proper messing around. They looked cool. But the year I was there, they were blue, white, dark red a little bit. Yeah. Now you can't miss them. It's like you've been tangoed, isn't it? No, that's, I think they look lovely. I think they're proper tall. I mean, like, you know, the amount of winning they do, you can't no. take anything away from them. You know, it's a good... Right, I reckon I've got a final question here to wrap it up, and I think it'll be quite a good one. Um, this is from Sharman, and it says, five guests that you could invite for a pint at the pub, dead or alive, who would you have? In motocross or in life? Uh, I keep it motocross. It's what people are watching. Let's keep it in the era. Yeah. If you name four mates, it's... Carl Crest, because he was funny. Didn't give a shit. Joachim Carl Crest. Not Joachim. Haken Carl Crest. Isn't there a Joachim Carl Crest? Don't know. Haken Carcass is a good egg. Maybe I've, got, I've probably egg. got the wrong one. That's almost Joachim Haken. So. Yeah, see, my my heyday would be Thorpey and like Eric Gabors and all those because they were the players. They were the doers when I was about, you know. And it, like Thorpey, it was the reason why I became a mechanic, really, because Farley, in whatever year it was, he came last to first in 86 or something. I stood behind Keith. Yeah. Watching Keith pitboarding, I'm thinking, I think that's a bit of me, that is. Yeah, that's nice. And so, you know. He's the reason I took the career path I took because Thorpey and like it's only two people now who ring me. If my phone lights up and it's Thorpey or Mitch Payton, my ass falls out. And I'm like, fucking hell, do they want? My ass falls out when Dave calls me. <laughs> he what must fuck get, me. What have I done now? I think he gets a lot of that. If mine rings, I think, fucking hell, what's Tommy done there? Yeah. 
So you would have Cole, Cole Quest. Would you go for a beer with Fort Beer or is that too... Nah, Dave's a good now? egg, isn't he? Yeah, that's what I mean. But you could... Well, right, so yeah, Rick Johnson. Cole. Rick Johnson's a good egg. I yeah. like hanging out with RJ. Johnny O'Mara was fun. So we've got the four there. And Carmichael. And Carmichael. Carmichael's away from the racing. It's a fun yeah. boy. Oh. Even when he's come over for the yeah. them days. Yeah, the years. monster stuff he come for a bit. He's a fun time. And like when I was hanging out with him, it was like mid-season, like Loretta's and whatever, and he was like the proper player. Really? I'd never seen a kid let go like that. Really? Because well, if you if you speak to Emmett, he always used to say that bastard used to go and train while we was all trying to go and have a beer on the weekend. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm telling you now, he used to come to Loretta's in like 02, 03, 04, like mid-season, like the day after a national. And still get wild. Yeah, and they used to go and like his mechanic, his bus driver Boo used to get there. And he'd go and take people's cameras off them, take all the film out. Really? Oh, yeah, we went chaos. <laughs> we were in the beer tent one time, and there's like this little cooler trailer thing, and it was like two bucks a beer. And we were in there, and Emig, I think, Emig gave, gave me like 100 bucks. Go and get some beers in. So I'm stood at the bar, and I'm like, I just gave her the 100 dollars. She gives it, how many do you want? I'm like, how many do I get for that? So there was like 50 beers on the bar all of a sudden. And then everybody just kept giving 100 bucks. And after you've had like 18 beers, you just start throwing it around, don't you? <laughs> and then the next day, me and Scott Taylor, who was Ricky's gear guy, had to buy the DJ new equipment. Well, I guess he just wrecked Yeah, everything. we fucked it. Yeah, we oh, threw beer no. all over it. <laughs> it was chaos, man. And then you'd get in golf carts and the security are chasing. We had proper low-speed chases around the <laughs> Low-speed chases <laughs> in golf carts, golf trying to get carts. away from security. Yeah, Chaos. It was... Loretta's, and then I crashed a golf cart with Tishner and stuff, and that kind of all spoiled it, really. <laughs> <laughs> that was it, game Well, over. maybe you don't want to take Carmichael for a beer, then he sounds like a get-out-of-control. Oh, he's chaos, man. He's funny. Absolutely. Yeah, pop a egg. Of course, you load a bag the next day. Yeah, because he's golden bollocks, isn't he? He can't do anything <laughs> wrong, can he? No, so you get the blame for everything. Exactly. That's it, then. So we'll wrap that up. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks, thanks for coming in, Bob. No, no problem. It's been a pleasure. If you um if you're interested in anything that Doc Wob's got to offer, Facebook website, what's the best one to look at? Yeah, Your Facebook and Instagram is quite Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I need to pick it up with other people. They're like, oh, this is a new bolt we've made. I haven't done any of that. I can't be asked, but we yeah. need to. We really yeah. do need to. I says part of the business which needs picking up. Really, we need to promote more of the bits and pieces we make. Yeah. So there's there's two pages for you to look at there. If you've not watched Tommy's videos on the bike behind us here, there's three parts of building that and riding it and that's getting left here now Wob isn't it it is yeah. so for you to uh, enjoy Mr yeah. Thomas so you've got a bit of uh, time off now enduro and 252 stroke yeah no I want to um, season's over so I want to actually just enjoy myself a bit ride that two stroke so I'm going to Wales next week as well I'm going to drop my mat home off and then ride into the hills from there from SC mat home so I think we're going to vlog that if this is out by then if not I don't know but Ride a bit of enduro, a little bit of two-stroke. Um, so if you've got any ideas for me, vlogs, put them in the comments. And uh, Same rules apply as well. We're doing a giveaway, so thanks to Factory Image Racing, we'll be giving away a pit mat and an umbrella again. Um, so, yeah, uh, drop a comment, any comment in the comment section on the YouTube channel, and in a week or two we'll random comment selector and pick a winner. So, Good job. Thanks, thanks very much. Cheers again, Wob. Thank you. We'll Good see you later. the softest 
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.